Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday. It's August 11th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all for this first hour. Phone lines are open. Go ahead and jump in and join us. I don't have a whole lot this morning, so uh, I'll hang out, wait for you to call 855-950-3835. After the first hour, um, we may or may not be doing trucking technology and efficiency today. You can always call and ask if you want. Um, haven't heard from Joel yet. Henry's at a truck show. Uh, so we may just continue it as a free for all. Although if you want to talk about efficiency and fuel economy, we certainly can. Uh, at some point we'll head on over to Twitter and we'll continue with a Freaky free-for-all Friday to end the week. So that's the schedule for today. Jump in and join us. I do have a couple things. Um, where do I want to start? Uh, I posted a video today just now. Just saw it this morning. This is another one of these stories that will come out of the mainstream media about trucking and what a horrible industry it is and how it takes advantage of people. And um, I saw one this morning. I think it made it to, uh, is it CBS Nightly News or NBC Nightly News? Made it to one of the mainstream outlets. And it's a four or five minute video. And it's about a woman who's struggling as a truck driver. And of course, they pick a single mother of three. Um, but let me just read you the one paragraph um, that I read here, and then you tell me what's wrong with the story. The report follows single mother of three, Arnesha Barron, who was an owner-operator during the surge of the early days of the COVID-19 crisis. As rates recently tumbled, she was forced to get rid of her truck and has now entered a lease program with Western Flyer Express. That's the, the headline, kind of, the, the story right there. There's so many things wrong with this story, but all of these are, are all designed to show us what a horrible industry trucking is and how it takes advantage of people. Um, I could solve her issues in trucking so easy. Business is not for everybody. That's the first thing we have to understand. And I'm not saying people shouldn't try it. You should. If you think you want to be in business, give it a shot. You should probably plan a little better than most people do. You should probably have some basic understanding of business. You should definitely have some basic understanding about money management. Timing is also important. I can't imagine how difficult it must be being a single mother of three trying to make it as an owner-operator. Even a truck driver would be difficult. But this industry lures people in because it pays so well for the qualifications. We need to remember that. When we hear, oh my God, trucking used to pay such a good wage, and if, if this was you know, 
If we were comparing this to the 1970s, truck drivers should make $150,000 a year. Well, you can't make that comparison because that was a financially regulated industry. The government controlled the rates. I've heard people that want to actually go back to that. I can't get a single person to talk to me about it, but I see a lot of it being posted about how deregulation is what drove these rates so low. Well, that's not an untrue statement. It's, it, I'll agree with that statement. Deregulation did drive rates down. It should have. That was the point. They were artificially controlled by the government. It was not a free market. This is what happens in a free market. It drives prices down. We all like that. It allows us to buy more stuff. So if somebody out there really thinks we should go back to a financially regulated trucking industry, I'd love to discuss it with somebody. Nobody seems to want to talk about it. They just post it. So not everybody should be in business. We just have to keep that in mind. And this is probably a really good example of that. Uh, she, uh, I'm sure she's not prepared. I doubt that she read a single business book. I can almost guarantee she doesn't have any accounting. I doubt that she really understands the industry and its cycles and, and how volatile freight rates and fuel are. This is a tough business to run until you know how to run it. And then it's actually pretty simple. And it doesn't require a lot of education. That's a good thing. But we'll keep turning it around and making it a bad thing with articles like this. Now, she failed. That sucks. I get it. But she's probably going to fail again. I can almost guarantee it. And what isn't being told is the rest of the story. And the story is actually worse than what most people think or what you would get from this article. But it's not because the trucking industry is a horrible place and it takes advantage of people. I could tell the opposite story, that somebody like me with very little education, barely finished high school, this has been an awesome industry for me. And I know lots of other people like that. So it's not inherently bad. In fact, I think it's a pretty incredible opportunity for the right people who are willing to do the hard work. And if you're not willing to do that hard work, the work of owning a business, then you shouldn't. And some people will say, well, she tried, she failed, no big deal. But, but there is a big deal here, and we should be aware of this too. She could end up in a financial position that will take her a decade or more to climb out of. She could end up in debt that she can't discharge in bankruptcy. My guess is she was so upside down on that truck. She bought it during COVID. Prices were inflated. She, I have a feeling it wasn't bought right, wasn't spec'd right. It probably, I could find dozens of things wrong. When she lost that truck, my guess is it went back to the bank. The bank will try to auction it. There'll be a huge deficit. That becomes income to her, and she now owes tax on all of that money. 
It could be thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars worth of income that she now owes tax on. You can't discharge that in bankruptcy. That will follow her for at least a decade. Probably more because there's a good chance she won't file her tax return because it's a mess and she doesn't have any money. And that'll go on for a couple of years. So that extends the time the IRS can hold that debt. You know, they, they always want to talk about the, the tearjerker story and make it sound like this is, you know, people being taken advantage of. If we were going to tell these stories, we should tell them the right way. We should point out why the failure happened and then also talk about it's not a good idea to jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. I couldn't make it as an owner operator and I lost my truck, so I'm going to sign a lease purchase instead. We will double down on the damage to her financial life now. She'll survive another year, maybe in a lease purchase, maybe not. But she will get deeper and deeper behind on taxes and, and more in debt. And this will get worse. They never tell you that part of the story. Uh, what else do we have today? Um, maybe I should just get to the phone calls. I think I'm going to do that. Let's go to uh, South Carolina. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Um, I was listening to Spaces yesterday, and I'm not sure if it was you or someone else that said immigration into this country should be easier. Um, I disagree with that. I think it might have been Matt that started that. I'm not sure. I agreed with it. I, I don't, you know, we have to define what easier means. I, I am... I believe yeah. we need more immigration into this country. Let's start with that. I don't necessarily know that it should be easier because all you really have to do is walk across the southern border right now. That seems pretty simple to me. Um, yeah, well, but what we should be doing, we should be picky about who we let in. And this makes some people crazy, but we should be vetting yeah. those people. And let we should be encouraging more immigration, but we should also have a better system of vetting people. Otherwise, every third world country, everybody in every third world country wants to come here. Uh, we'll be showing sorry, up, yeah. might not be a fair place, but, you know, you can't allow that. Or, you know, remember fables when we were kids? Why don't they teach fables yeah. anymore? Uh-huh. You know what fable yeah, covers this one? Yeah. Fables are really, really good stories. They teach us great lessons that we can learn when we're in like second grade. They're so simple. And we don't teach those anymore. There's an easy fable that covers this. Jack and the Beanstalk. I think of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. America is the goose. Yep. It, it lays golden eggs. It used to. We built the 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 most prosperous society on the planet through free market capitalism and democracy. And I know we're not a true democracy. We're a republic. But through our political and, and capitalistic economic system, we built an incredible society that lifted a lot of people out of poverty. Now, it's gone off the rails, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not You're sure not if we rail. can get it yeah. back or not. But 
this system that was America really was and still is the golden egg. We haven't, or the goose, we haven't killed it yet. But if you want to kill it, continue with this horrible immigration policy of not really having a policy, not enforcing anything and just letting people flood across the border. You'll kill the the goose and there goes the golden eggs. Yep. Yeah, because uh, when I, when I came over here, I was told that if you entered the country, if you entered the country illegally, you had no chance of becoming a citizen because you broke the law getting here. Uh, imagine that. That, that. that makes you all you kinds no of common chance. sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So they ought to start with that one. So well, if you broke the law to get in, you're not eligible to be a citizen. So, well, and, yeah. and, and shouldn't that disqualify you from voting and and being a public servant as well but we have places in the united states now you can vote and chicago i guess is going to make illegal immigrants law enforcement yeah oh what a great country yep so show up break the law and then go oh now you can enforce it yeah yeah right crazy so because 2017 is when I started the process because my green card was going to run out in early 2018. And when I came back from New Zealand uh, in 2017, and the the customs guy is like, why are you not a citizen already? And he says, your green card going to expire shortly. And he said, you have to do something. And yeah. he said, the paperwork to become a citizen it's pretty much the same paperwork with a little bit more than what you do for renew your green card. <laughs> and he said, so if you're, if you're a citizen, he says, I wouldn't be holding you and your wife up right here. I says, I don't mind. It's good conversation. <laughs> and, uh, so when I got home, yeah. So when I got home, um, I was like, yeah, I probably should do something about this. And you don't have to get an immigration lawyer. You can do it all by yourself now. It costs you some money. File the paperwork and get all the crap you need, but you send it away. And I sent my, they call it your original submission to become a citizen. I sent mine away. And then on September the 11th of 2017 is when I got a text message from the immigration. Your original submission has been received. And then, you know, they let you know, oh, you got to show up for an interview and get your fingerprints taken and your photo and run the background check, and then you show up again, and then you show up again for your interview. And then they say yay or nay. And the 30th of March, 2018, so from September the 11th of 2017 till the 30th of March, 2018, is how long it took me to become a citizen. And it, it really wasn't that hard. Well, yeah. congratulations. And, and, and I, if it was Matt, I think it might've been, I understand what he's saying. We're not necessarily saying to make the process any easier. The process seems to be fairly straightforward and simple. You just got to go through it, take the time, yeah. do the thing. You know what? what we're saying is it, you gotta, it, it, 
our, our system's such a mess, we're just letting anybody, criminals, gang members, everybody just flood across the southern yeah, border. And yet we we put roadblocks up in front of people that want to come here legitimately. Yeah. Yeah. So legal immigration is the only way to go. Anyone that breaks the law and, to get it, I have the opinion that, sorry, denied, access denied. <laughs> Here's your here's your bus ticket, your plane ticket. You're going back wherever you came from. Yeah, and and once we get that fixed, then I'm all for more immigration. We need it. Yep. Yeah. So, hey, hey, I need some help with with an hours of service question. Can you okay. help me? Seventy fourteen eleven ten. Maybe. I, I think it's fairly straightforward. It has to do with this video I just posted about this woman who's failing. She lost her truck. Now she's in a lease purchase. Um, the interviewer is in the truck with her and asks her, so how many hours a week do you work? And she said 70. Yeah. Am I confused? Uh, you can do that. In in a week, seventy and eight days. But you can, uh, you can, uh, you, yeah, can you, you do can. it with the restart? That was my question. Could you actually get seventy hours in seven days? Because a week, the last time I checked, a week was seven days, not eight. Yeah, well, you can, you can, you can work, you can work seventy if you push it to the limit. And you can, you can rack up seventy hours in five days. That's what I was wondering, five and I didn't and feel days. like doing the math. But yeah, with the restart, then, okay. But then you, so, but then you, but you got Then you're going to have to do a 34 hour break. So right. If you, do, if you do 70 in five and a half days, and then 34 hours, so, so if you start on a Monday, say you start on a Monday morning, and you burnt up your 70 by Saturday lunchtime, then you do a 34 hour break. And then you can start again on Monday morning and, and do it again. Press 70. Okay. So, so if yeah, she is really so, working is pretty, that hard, pretty much that, what I do that, you know, again, how, how do you work that hard and still not make it? And the problem is, it's just a total lack of education. We have people getting into business that don't even understand basic money management. Well, maybe it's like what you say, don't just work hard, do the hard work. That, that really So is, many people that call it. So many people that call onto this show, they're not partaking in the recession. They're not having problems. They're making I, good money. Yeah, how's that and possible? I'm, it's it's not just only it's not just only four or five of us. If you do the hard work, and you got to know what it's costing you to run down the road, yeah, it, build it, the relationships and all that other good stuff. And, as far yeah. as work goes, I can't imagine how difficult this has been for this woman. She's got three kids at home. She's a single mother. I can't imagine being out on the road trying to run a business like this. It'd be hard. Yeah, but yeah. why yeah. not? Why not just take a really good company driver job that makes seventy or eighty thousand a year, and wait until the kids are a little yeah. bit older and save some money and get in a better financial position, and during that time learn about business? I, I'm not telling people. Yeah. You can't be in business. It's just for certain people. Well, it is just for certain people, the people that are prepared, but that could be anybody. Anybody could learn how to be in business. 
I, I, I'll teach anybody that wants yeah. to learn. But what's, I can also tell people, if you don't learn, you're going to fail. As we say, you go to hell in a handbag. Yeah. Yeah, because it's quite, it's, you know, you talked about her turning her truck in or giving it back to the bank or whatever. She's going to get whacked there. Well, it's quite possible she's not kept up with her taxes. So, oh, I'm sure. And then, oh, if, if she if she does get a return prepared, and it's like, well, I don't have that money, so she's not even going to file it. Yep. So then she's going to when she in two years time or three years time or eight years time when she does get around to oh hell I need to get caught up with my taxes. What was a ten thousand dollar bill is now a hundred fifty thousand dollar bill. Yes. Yeah. It's it's just going to be a financial mess that will haunt her for. I've seen it haunt people for the rest of their life. I've seen people, I had a guy, yeah. 20 years, never got out of debt with the IRS. Always had liens and, and you know, payment plans and and just, kept, he was a, a FedEx ground contractor, a van guy. I used to do a bunch of those. And 20 years of, and of dealing with the, the all of that <laughs> hanging over your head. How miserable. Yeah. Yeah, just crazy, but. Like 2004 is when I bought my first truck over here, and I took a severe pay cut the first two years because that's the pretty common. Year, work, work, working for someone, uh, I'd probably earn forty five thousand dollars. Yeah, in 04, uh, 03. and um, my first year in business, I paid myself twenty thousand dollars. My second year in business, I gave myself a pay rise. I paid myself $22,000. And then I bought a second truck, which my wife drove, so she got a full paycheck. So we still had good income to the house. Right. Because she got paid. Um, she earned like uh, 48 or something, but she had a lot of debt, which we got all that paid off. And then... At the end of 2006, I wrecked the second truck, crashed it. They fixed it, and I sold it. And it's like, and her mother got sick, so she quit driving. And I went back to a uh, one truck. And 2007 is when I started. I found you one Saturday afternoon, and it's like, who the hell is this guy? What does he think? <laughs> you get more money if you slow down. What an idiot! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've heard that a lot. And yeah, in 2008, when I came back from New Zealand after a vacation, and uh, fuel had gone up a dollar a gallon in the month I was away, and it's like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and I only had one more truck payment to make. And it's like, the work just dropped off, and it's like, I might try this slowing down stuff. And I went cold turkey, 75 to 60. And, uh, and then you get your settlement, and it's like, well, I spent a whole lot less on fuel. And there you go. You know the loads. The loads were scarcer then, and it's like, oh, you'd say, "Well, I don't have anything." Oh, where's the nearest load? Oh, it's six hundred miles away. Where's it pay? Uh, I'll just go get that. So I, I did a lot of deadheading, and um, but every every settlement, I I got a paycheck. Some of them were small, but I, I never went the whole. And it's like, yeah, I'm not participating in any recession. I just kept listening to you and the. Then I started really tracking the fuel mileage, and as years went by, the more and more I track, and everything now is pretty much paperless. 
And just a few weeks ago, my wife said to me, she says, you do more paperwork now that everything's paperless. I said, I track a lot more. <laughs> and she said, you're – because normally I'm home on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, so Sunday morning I'd sit down and I'd go through everything and go over a settlement or whatever and yeah. make all my notes and add everything up and, yep, okay, next next payday I shouldn't get X or whatever or about that and carry on and, okay, so it's a whole lot easier now. So yeah. Yep, yep. You and know, my, and, and my new trailer should be – my new trailer should be ready next week. They oh, that's they exciting! Down, so. That's exciting. Yeah, so I yeah, might, I might go and have a look at it. Later yeah, today. So I'll bet. See where they're at. So. I'll bet. So you know, we we I'll carry on. Nothing is happening that we didn't predict, right? I mean, we we've been predicting this was coming for quite some time, and I even said it's going to be worse this time because the run up was so long. We've been in such a good trucking environment for so long. There are a lot of people that don't understand how tough it can get. We've been saying that and here we are and it's still happening and everybody seems shocked. Like, oh my God, you you can't make any money with a truck today. Well, of course you can, but it's gotten a whole lot more difficult. I'll admit that. And... If you are at the bottom right now, where this woman clearly was, she she can't afford the truck she has. She's getting into a lease purchase. We know how far behind she probably is. I, I, I'm an optimist, but at some point you've got to say, I'm sorry, you can't dig out of this hole. It, it, it's just, you're just not going to be able to do it. The odds are so stacked against you that it, it, you just yeah, put can't. The shovel down. Yeah, yeah, stop digging. The timing is just wrong. Even if you want to be a business owner, my advice would be, okay, yeah. let's work towards that. And the first step would be to go get a good job so we can fix your money situation first. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, if you want to be in business, it's always a lot easier if you have money to work with. Yeah, and and some time yeah. and some breathing yeah. room, but to, to dig yourself that big of a hole and then think you're going to climb out of that hole in an economy like this just isn't going to happen. But this, this yeah, well, is... 2020... This is my example 2020 of... 2020 was a good year for me. So. Yeah, start at the bottom. Okay. Start at the bottom. Don't start yep. at the top where everybody else wants to start because your odds of failing go way up. If you start at the bottom, if you fail, you're probably going to fail quickly and at least the damage is less. See, these people got yep. to operate for two or three years they getting behind on their taxes, getting behind on other things, ending up upside down in a truck. So not only does starting at the top not teach you much, it really, really increases your risk of creating a train wreck. If you start at the bottom and you really screw it up, you're going to be out of business in six months. You're not going to have time to do much damage. But if you start at the bottom and yeah. you make it, the rest is easy. Yeah, well, 2020, I, I started paying off all my credit card debt. And I got rid of that. And I still use my credit cards, but, you know, one week I put 
$9,000 on a credit card, and then when the statement showed up, I told my bookie, I said, write the check out and pay it. Yeah, and, and then you get all those I'm points. The, getting all those reward points, but and then I, once I got all that paid off, and then I started putting money in the in the bank, and I'm looking pretty healthy at the moment. Got money in the bank, and hey. all my, I, I wouldn't say I got nothing on a credit card, but it's probably less than two thousand dollars. Which when it shows up at the end of the month, I'll just tell it write the check out, pay it. So you know, maybe I paid any credit card interest. If I if I needed something to do, which I really don't, um, I would probably go out and try to find one of these news outlets like Newsmax or um, there's a couple I follow that are, you know, significantly more conservative than the mainstream media. I'd love to get a news outlet to start telling these stories. Yeah. Why not? Let's yeah, tell the other like side. Let's tell the now rest you know. of the story. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now you know the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'll let someone else have a turn. I got to unload some pickup trucks. All right. Good stuff. Get to work. Go make the donuts. Let's uh, let's talk to Matt in Montana. Matt, welcome. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? I got two questions for you. Yeah, I got two questions for you. First one is I run, so I, I restarted my LLC trucking company, just me, one truck, and it's part work half the year with this truck. I just bought a new one. I had a paid for one, and then I just bought a new one. Do I want to own this truck myself or let the LLC own the truck? And uh, when I put it into profit gauges for the payment and stuff. Believe it or not, there's rules about this. I don't think anybody ever follows them. I, I've never seen a case where it really matters. Like I, I can remember um, when I owned some trucks and my brother owned some trucks and we combined them together into one company. Then we started buying trucks. And at one point, we filed a corporate tax return, but technically several of those trucks, they were in my name personally. Some were in his name. Some was in the corporate name. I, it never mattered, though. I mean, the IRS never even okay, seems it, to look at that in an audit. It it could kind of matter, but it never really seems to in the real world. Okay, because it's, it's half POV, half commercial running as, as the company truck. It goes both ways. It's, it's insured both ways. I just wasn't sure. I, I'm just getting ready to title it here and get them to get an actual registration on it other than the temporary. So you know, I wasn't it, sure if I wanted uh, to own it one way or the other. It, it's probably never going to matter. I've never seen it matter. I've been through audits. Nobody ever really seems to care. Um, but since we have the choice, I would say just put the corporate name on it then, the LLC name. Okay. Okay, so then in, in profit gauges, I'll just put the regular truck payment in reoccurring every month as it is. Yeah. Now, for the I put $25,000 down on that. How do I put that into profit gauges? Uh, I don't. I actually just leave it out. It, 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 it doesn't affect your tax return, and it really doesn't affect okay. your operational numbers. You know what I mean? It, 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 it can be misleading. Um, because all of a sudden, well, why did my numbers go down? Why is my profit lower? It's because we have this money in there that really didn't go towards operations. Um, I, 
part of profit gauge is what we did. I, I've said many times, we broke all the rules of accounting. I mean, it, it, we don't do accounting the way you're technically supposed to do accounting. Um, most owner operators don't do any accounting. So who really cares if we're not doing it exactly by the rules? We, we wrote our program to make it easy and effective, not to, you know, make sure we're in compliance with all the um, rules of accounting, which aren't really rules anyway. They're kind of recommended is this is how you should do your accounting. Well, we don't. We just do it in a way that makes more sense to me. And sometimes it means well, just just leave that 25000 out. It doesn't affect your tax return. Gotcha. It really doesn't affect your daily operational numbers. So in, in true accounting, we would be required to put it in there. And then we would have to be smart enough to know how to write a report and t kind of take it back out of there. So why bother? I mean, why just leave it out? Why not just leave it out in the first place? Gotcha. That makes sense. Cause when I put it in there just to test the water, to see what it looked like in my limited mileage of like 50, 60,000 a year, it jacked all of my cost I, per mile up to where I made it, it look like my cost per mile, like five bucks a mile. Which it it makes a mess of things, right? Yeah. It, it just does. So it, it's just yep. not worth putting in there. Okay. Uh, second question real quick is I get a lot of friends and people that I work with in different industries that'll call me and say, Hey, I've got a forklift that needs to be hauled from California to wherever. Do you have a guy that can do it? And then I have carriers and other friends with flatbeds that can do this stuff. Or I have brokers that I work with in another business that do a lot of other shipping for me that I'll call and say, Hey, I got a side project. Can you move this for me? So I might, say I pay the guy, you know, the guy pays me two grand to, um, move this forklift. And then I, you know, got charged by my broker 1500 and I make the 500 off of that. I've been putting that into profit gauges as if it was the settlement for, uh, 1500. And then the expenses were, or sorry, I put in the so, settlement is two grand. And then the settle or the expenses of that settlement are 1500 and I profited 500. Is that a proper way to do that? Um, yeah. Um, so there's a broker paying you for this load? No. So I pay the broker to do this load. So I'm kind of like co-brokering. It's not, I mean, I'm, everybody knows I'll say like, Hey, I'm going to call my broker and have him move this. He does so it. Do you, have, me do you have broker authority to do it? I don't know. So this I is let where the broker we get, do the work. I'm just the middleman. Can I connect them to well, dots? Well, brokers are middlemen but they have to be licensed. You're, you're an unlicensed broker. And they are. You can't broker a load. brokering or dispatching, well, essentially? Well, oh, let's set yeah, dispatching the, the broker, aside the for a second. brokering the load. Right. It, it can't yep. be co-brokering because you, you're not a broker. You can't co-broker a load. You okay. don't have the authority to broker a load. Do you have your... Carrier authority, Correct. you must because you're using a broker. This is I do. Yep. This this is technically where the original problem of double brokering, true double brokering, started. Carriers without broker authority doing this kind of stuff. Now, it, it, when the mm -hmm. dispatch thing so, gets thrown yep. in, this is why there was a lot of controversy around dispatch services. Are they acting like unlicensed brokers or not? And it's not really clear. 
In this case, I think it is clear. You're accepting the money. You are working like a broker mm-hmm. and you're not a licensed broker. So how do I, for, for these, because these, if I was a connect and just have, you know, John talk to Jim on this deal, Jim's not going to trust John because he doesn't know him because he's never done any work for him. So the only way for this guy to cover this load properly would be if I basically introduce him or just do the deal for him and then take a fee on top of that. That that's where everybody's, it, everybody's clear on the fee. There's never any question on it. it, it's, it everybody's clear that, you know, look, I'm I, making money helping them out. W- right. We can be clear on things. Everybody's clear in a drug deal. You're going to get this many drugs and I'm going to give you this much money. It, <laughs> we it, we can all be clear on it. We yeah. can write a contract. We can even put it in writing. We can't make something illegal legal just because we're all aware of it and we signed off on it. That that doesn't make it legal. So what we're trying to get and, and look, you gotcha. could you could do this and, and it's probably never going to create a problem anywhere. But I, I'm, I just want you to be aware of what's happening here. And this really is illegal double brokering. Gotcha. So there, there the, is no, the, the so fix how, for how it, would I go about the, the, the real fix for this? If you yep. want to do it right, you could structure some sort of a dispatch service. Maybe what you don't want to do is accept the money. You, you just want to get paid a straight fee from somebody. You don't want to take the money from the shipper or any money from this load and then pass on the rest of the money. That's what that's acting as a broker. So it's the money piece that's okay. probably so going to get you in trouble. If you went to your friend and said, hey, I'll, I'll get you these loads and we'll get them moved and you just pay me X as a as a fee don't take the freight money and then say, well, I, I got paid for the load and then I'm going to pay somebody else. That's definitely the illegal part on your point. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's easy enough to do. I just wasn't sure if that was the proper way to do it, but taking the fee or now, just the, passing the a straight through. Because they're, of course, finding the, the easiest path to do it. The proper way to do this, like crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's would be for you to go get your broker authority. Then you can broker all the loads you want. But then technically, if I'm still taking the money, moving it over, I'm then truly double brokering. No, Everybody's you're, aware no, of what hold, I'm doing. Hold, I have no problem on, saying, hey, I'm The better word for that would be co-brokering yep. and it's completely legal. So that would be co-brokering that if, if you have, if you have broker authority and you have an agreement with another broker that is co-brokering and it's completely legal. Okay. And then I would take the pull money from Jim and then pass it on and then take my cut out of it in the middle. Yes. Just like a broker could that, because then you are acting as a Got legal it. broker and you have the authority to do it. Cool. Well, that's what I needed to know. I do appreciate that. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Michigan. Kim, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Good afternoon. Good show. Well, good morning for you. What's on your mind today? Hey, Morgan actually answered my question. It was about the app shutting off when I turn my truck off and then close my doors and come back in my cab and turn the truck on. 
So she said that they're working on that. So that's not a big deal. Okay, good. Hey, I have a question as far as tolls. When I'm... <laughs> so New York State says I don't if I pay a toll, I'm not being charged IFTA. Ohio, Illinois, Indiana say if I'm on a toll road, I'm getting double taxed. See what I mean? No, oh, no. I Yeah, so we, we've dealt with this forever. So this is just... just you just do it. This is just what you do. I, I don't know how you get then, around it. It, it seems to me that it's completely. And say, hey, look. No, you can't send them a 1099. I'm sorry. Because um, I, I paid this much for a service, so I should be able to. Do you issue a 1099 to your shop? Do you issue a 1099 to the truck stops for all the money you spent with them? No, we don't no, do that. So, so, so throw the idea of a 1099 out. It wouldn't do anything anyway. It wouldn't change anything. Okay. It, all, all we can do here, and I honestly can't tell you what's what. I, I, I don't, I try not to deal with this anymore. I used to have to deal with it. Um, I, I was never right. clear about any of the answers I got about this. It, it seems to me like, yeah, if I'm on a toll road, I'm already paying for the damn road. Why should I be paying fuel taxes? But why should I have to pay? Exactly. Well, yeah, but it's taxes. Let's think about it. Why should I have to pay um, fuel tax and mileage tax in New Mexico or Kentucky? I do. I, I, I still have to pay both. It's yep. just because they tell me I have to. So if a state says, look, we don't care if you're on the toll road or not, you're still going to pay fuel tax. Then then you're paying fuel tax. What are you going to do know, about it? That little sticker that says hot. That only costs uh, a few bucks to get every year, but when you don't have it, it costs fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I know. That's what I mean. There, there's no logic behind taxes. So just and and the biggest no. issue I had was trying to keep this straight. I, I honestly told people you're probably better off just file all of it for taxes. The the miles, you know. You've also got fuel purchases in there, too. So it just seems easier to me to since the system's such a mess. One state says one. It seems easier to me. Just keep it consistent. Use all your miles and all your gallons and be done with it. Well, what's really weird is the state of New York sent us an email saying that since we don't travel enough, we don't put enough miles on in New York. It's more of a hassle for them, for us to do it quarterly. So they only want us to do our uh, tax, New York state tax, once a year, the IFTA. But you can't tell Michigan that New York only wants it once. Yeah, I was going to say, is is that even legal? It's just one of the states. Is there any system that allows you to just file it once a year? No, not that I can find. So I don't know how you tell New York that it's too bad. I have to pay this four times. Yeah, that doesn't even make any sense. But you have a lot of drivers that drive New York, so I can't be the only one that have this issue. No, it's come up in the past. And then and, when you and cross and over, like I said, it's, it's, you know, we've got states involved and then you have federal laws and nobody's ever really clear on any of this. And, and it, I just came to the conclusion it was just easier just to treat all miles and all gallons the same and not try to separate. I don't even know. I, I was going to sit down and try to figure this out. If it even creates any kind of an advantage, I'm not sure that it does. If you're not going to show your miles mm-hmm. in those states, what if you stopped and bought fuel when you were on the toll road? 
do you show the fuel purchase or not? Well, you should because you had to pay tax on it. So now that gets confusing. Yeah. And and now all well, that's going to happen. If you- and if I try to think this through, your fuel mileage number is going to be incorrect because if you take those miles yep. out, the miles. Every time affect- I go through New York, it's incorrect. Right. So it seems to me like. I don't even know if we create an advantage, if there's any savings to do it this way. If it is, it's probably tiny. Yeah, and I, why do we want to get sideways with some state agency over something this stupid? It seems to me it's just easier. File all miles and all, all fuel. Be done with it. Yep. And then who is the Delaware state? I think it's called the Delaware River Authority. Every time I cross a bridge in the East Coast, I'm not paying a state for that toll. It's I'm paying some bridge authority. Wait, it doesn't matter. So I matter, don't even though. know where to put that those dollars. It doesn't matter. That's okay. just it's just a toll on I'm your tax. It's just an expense. Where, where it's going. It, well, you don't need to. It, you okay. pay, you paid a bridge to cross the bridge. That was a business expense. We we don't care who owns the bridge doesn't matter okay it, I, I have the same thing here we have a, a toll bridge in town to get across to washington it's owned by the port authority here in town which is kind of a pseudo government agency it, it, so who cares though it's not a state it's not a county it, it's an it's a government agency that was created and owns the land and owns the bridge and they charge us to drive on it gotcha okay yeah, that's all I have for today. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, we're going to go next. We're going to go to Tennessee. Ilya, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Um, I was calling, I was actually going to join your Twitter space to talk about this whole like business operation thing with not everyone should be in business. Cause I think that relates to like the whole, uh, broker relation thing that you talk about when people don't understand that that's your customer. Right. But, uh, I, I was thinking about that in the same kind of thing where like, I originally come from operating restaurants years ago and this, like, this sounds exactly like the kind of conversation you have with like a restaurant owner where they were originally just like a mom that made like a good pot of soup or a dad that made like a good rack of ribs. And then, people tell them they should open up a restaurant and then they have these same exact kind of issues as this. Or if you watch like even Bar Rescue, I feel like almost every episode sounds exactly like this kind of thing. Yeah, you know what? It happens probably in every small business. We could go right down the line. It happens with landscapers. It happens with carpenters. The trades, you know, it's very common in the trades, the building trades, to work as independent contractors, which means you're running a business. You have business taxes to deal with. You have just all of those issues. And I'm okay with this. I I love the fact that it's really easy to get into business. I just wish we had better education across the board. I wish we would teach people during school at least basic financial management. Just, Just we teach nothing about this in school. 12 years in school, we don't bother teaching anybody about one of the most important aspects of their life, money. 
If people at least had a better understanding of money management, they would be better in business. But but we don't even teach that. And you're right, the restaurant industry, I, I've been cooking my whole life. I love to cook. I'm pretty darn good at it. Um, my wife, Lisa, is even better. Um, we do some, you know, catering jobs once in a while, usually just for a good cause or, you know, something to do. Um, and we, we've always been around food and done a lot of cooking. And I can't tell you it, a thousand times, at least somebody says you should open a restaurant because that's what people tell people when they make good food. You should open a restaurant. Uh, no, I shouldn't. That, that's really not a business I want to run. Um, we've kicked around the idea of buying a food truck. But if we bought it, if it sat mm-hmm. for a month, it would never matter. It would not be something that I would have to run it and run it right or it was going to hurt me financially. It would be something I would do almost for the fun of it because we could cater some events here in town. And But, but for me, if it got parked for three months, it, it wouldn't matter. So it's not like I really need to run this thing like a business and make a bunch of profit. Um, but that would be the extent of it. I, I do not want to run a restaurant, have never really wanted to run a restaurant as much as I love food and cooking. Uh, if I had to do yeah. that every day and generate a profit doing it, I don't think I would like it nearly as much. Yeah. And that, and they don't think about like the like 99% of the other parts of operating, like whatever business they're going into. Like here, like the brokers, the the truck maintenance, the operation, all that stuff, the economy, like whatever. And that, that's actually why I wanted to call about the Twitter space thing was uh, like to talk about this. Like that seems like when, like the other crowd that seems to have come into this discussion from Twitter um, where they don't understand that the broker is the customer. That seems to be like a massive disconnect of like someone that doesn't like fully opt understand the business like every time you guys talk about that i'm like on what planet does it make sense that the person that pays you is not the customer Uh, in trucking what else are they right in trucking i guess that that we don't really have customers in trucking is kind of what i'm hearing because if i say the broker's the customer then some of the pushback i get is oh no it's the shipper well that sucks then because all of a sudden, I, I now have yeah. a business that I, I have no relationship with my customer. How is this going to work? Yeah. And, the, and, the, and then the whole, like, transparency thing, like, like again, restaurants, you go and you buy a cheeseburger. Do you know how much they paid for the meat, the bread, the cheese and whatever? No. Like, that has nothing to do with you. All you need to know is what it costs you, and that's it. <sighs> Here's, I guess, part of the problem. When I've always said I would much rather work with somebody to help them buy a truck and become an owner operator, start a trucking company when they have no trucking experience, but they have business experience from some other industry. Then they get it. But for some reason, when we start, if trucking is our first business, Many times we seem to be really lacking in an understanding of business and customers. And, and, and that just persists. Guys that have been doing this for 20 years it will look at me and go, no, that broker's not my customer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've, I've actually been thinking about it because I have like a ton of customer service experience. I actually have a lot of sales experience. Uh, 
just I'm in like a really good local home daily driving position Monday to Friday, $120,000 a year. And I'm done by 4 p.m. every day and I'm off on weekends. So uh, how many industries can can you do that with with not even a high school education? You don't even have to have a high school diploma. Nobody asks. Who cares? And and make a hundred and twenty thousand and and not have all the other downsides of trucking gone all the time away from your family. Uh, I, we should tell more stories like that. Yeah, I actually i I only got into the trucking maybe five years ago. I got my CDL, and I actually think like a good source for hiring truck drivers would be the hospitality industry because. Uh, they work the same crazy hours, nights, weekends, holidays, but they get paid way less. Yeah, exactly. That's why I kind of went into this. I'm like, I'm working the hours anyway. I might as well do this. Good point. Hey, let's talk so. about this since you're familiar with restaurants. Um, and we're talking about business. And um, if you wanted to start a restaurant today, is the restaurant industry significantly different than it was in 2019? Yeah, actually, yeah, that's. That's probably about the year I stopped. Uh, I had a year or so where I, I went and worked at Yelp uh, after restaurants, and that's about when I stopped. And I actually have quite a few business plans fully ready to open restaurants that I want, and I have funding that I could easily get from people I know, but I just want nothing to do with it because of like the staffing, how it is right now. Well, everything about the restaurant industry is a mess. COVID really, really put a hurting on the restaurant industry. And it, it's a very different place now. Yeah, exactly. We actually have a restaurant near my town here in Tennessee. It's called the Coach T's All-American Grill. And he, I guess, he used to be the coach for the high school. So all, all of his staff are former teammates from his team. And I'm like, this guy's a genius. He has like automatic staff coming in yeah. like as soon as they graduate. Right. Yeah. Th- those are the kind of things uh, that can create an advantage in business. Nobody even thinks about stuff like that. Yeah. Customer, uh, customer service is a little hit and miss because of the same reason, actually. But I mean, like he's fully staffed and people all want to work there. Yeah, but so. that's a that's a big advantage in today's world. So good stuff. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Alabama. Mark, welcome. Hey, uh, so yesterday I got to drop some cars off in Hattiesburg, just south of there. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Did that, get on up there just before I get to Meridian. I look at my email. I have an email from uh, EFS Wex. Uh, we detect fraud on your fuel card. Then they sent a printout of this card. I have two cards that I keep in the truck because they're made so horrible that if you leave them in your wallet, it just destroys the strip and they don't work because. None of these damn industries out here in the in the trucking industry, truck stops, have chips. And I had a person working in Gerard, Ohio. I was talking to a guy working on a pump at P, at the Petro there when I went up to Pittsburgh Power. And I said, did you fix it? He said, the main problem with these damn pumps is they won't, they won't go with the technology of the chips and the cards or whatever because everything's a swipe. So... 
this card's never left my truck except to swipe. And the last time I used it was at this crap-ass PA in Baytown, Texas. So somebody got my number and charged $923 worth of fuel at some, I don't even know where, on I-10 in Houston, exit 778. I've got to look it up. Well, anyway, I call, I get the bill for my weekly bill this morning, so I'm going to have to pay that out of my pocket while they investigate it. I filled out a fraud complaint last night online from Wex. I emailed them and said, yeah, that's fraud. And so now I called Wex, Fleet One, you jump through hoops, three-factor identification, both sign-in, three-factor identification to talk to them on the phone to, to prove who you are. Yet, my card number gets swiped. It doesn't leave leave the truck here. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we know it's fraud, but we have to investigate. It'd be 30 days. And then they, the only person person that would talk to me, they sent me the collections. Oh, no, you got to pay that. It's in the contract. Kept saying it's the car. I'm like, the contract? I'm like... You know it's fraud. You couldn't even detect it's fraud when they used it. I mean, what kind of technology is that? You know, it, I, I, this is the first so, I've heard of this on a, on a fuel card. I've, I just never thought about it. it no, never. Com Data has it all over. Com Data has it all over the place. The people could use Com Data. And maybe the drivers don't know it. The owners know it. I'm an owner. I, I'm oh, no, I, it's I, like, what I'm saying is you're so the first I, person I, that's brought this up on my show. In all these years, nobody's ever brought up a fraud really? case on a fuel card. I've serious? never heard it once. Well, I'm telling you, and it's a pain in the ass. Oh, I'm sure. It's $923. I'm actually a little shocked. To me. I'm getting ready to talk to them now. I, I hadn't thought about this because nobody's ever brought it up. I would, I guess I would have just assumed it's like a credit card. Nobody charges anybody for credit card uh, all you have to do is say, I didn't charge that. No, it's not. And they don't even ask you any questions anymore. They, they All the credit cards are just like, fine, no, if you didn't not, pay not it. No, on these fuel cards. And there's no sucks. chip. There's no chip in these damn cards. There's no chip in it. The technology at these damn truck stops, all of them, is so behind that it's actually a shame. It's pathetic. And they don't upgrade the crap. I have an inside number to TA Petro, and I bitch and complain to this guy. Well, I found that they fixed in Bernardo. They fixed a pothole that had been there for three years because I got indignant with him over it because you can't take a car hauler through there in, in, in Sealy, Texas at the TA. And if somebody told me this morning, hey, they fixed the pothole, I said, I, you can hey, thank me because I raised it, 10 times the hell the last time I went in there. You know what this is to me? So, Not that I'm going to do anything about it, but this sounds like a, a, an opportunity for me, to me, not for me. Um Maybe I'll even talk with, uh, I think next week we've got David Owen coming back from Nastic, and they have a fuel card. This would be a good topic. Um, somebody, well, I got their fuel card. Somebody it's, in it's, the... It's, it, no, it's I know, I, run through fleet one. No, I, I, right. Somebody in the industry should probably solve this and be the first one, and it would be a selling point. Although... If somebody called me and said, I'm going to develop a fuel card where you don't get charged and have to prove that it was fault, I, I would say, well, knock yourself out. But I don't think it's that big of a deal. And maybe it is, but I certainly, well, like I was, said, I have never had a call about this topic. Not once. When, 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 when Bank when Chase or Bank of America, when you, you use your card on something abnormal, 
it will decline it immediately. And then you'll either get a text or a phone call or an email saying, did you do this? And yes or no. And it's like, I got nothing but an email that I read hours later and with the printout of the last time this card had been used. Like I said, I have two that I keep there because the card screws, the strip screws up so easy. And these card readers at TA Petro are so horrible that any, any defect in the strip and you're SOL. Yeah, it, well, it sounds like we. There I'm just saying, may it, be a it really here. pisses me off that, that. I think it's a huge problem, but people just don't, you know, people don't complain about stuff. They are like, oh well, that's the way it is. That's not the way it is. The hell with this shit. This is horrible well, customer service on on the fact on the fuel card management companies that do this. They can't even put the technology in the card, or the truck stops are too cheap to put the technology in their pumps to the chip. They don't even have a chip on these damn things. And so apparently it got lifted somewhere, skimmed or whatever. I'm thinking TA, the TA in Boma and Baytown. And it's just like, now I've got to pay the damn bill and wait for them to jump through hoops. I, 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 I don't know. I, I got to call in the nasty talk Derek Lamb about this. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about it. Sounds like a good topic for the industry because it, it sounds like it's industry-wide. If there was one truck stop that had fixed this or one fuel card, then we could say, look, this doesn't have to be a problem. But it seems to be across the board right now. Well, they lifted the whole damn thing to be able to do it. And they somewhere they lifted my, my, uh, my, my driver number to be able to do that. I, 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 apparently, it got skimmed somewhere. And I know that those things, those skimming machines they place in some of these uh, fuel pumps are, look exactly like you, you, you get fooled all the time. And the, like I said, the la I know where the last place I used to that, the, the car never leaves the truck. And it's like I had that, that time at, at that TA there, I went to, uh, against my better judgment, I went there. And so I went to the pump and for the, it said reserved on, you have to go in swipe the card in there. So it either got wiped out there, swiped out there. And I'm pretty sure that's where it happened at. All right. But well, we'll, uh, like, we'll start talking about anyway, it. Cause I, I don't have any answers for you. I didn't even realize yeah. it was an issue. Now I do. So no, I didn't expect it. I just, I'm just pissed off that I'm having to deal with this shit. I'll bet. I, I so, it, it seems to anyway. me like we need a system just like they do with credit cards. Cause that's all this is. We do. Right. Yeah. All right. It's all well, it is. Uh, Okay. We'll start Thanks. talking about it. Okay. Um, all right. It looks like we are having trucking technology and efficiency today. I've got uh, Henry and Alec in the house with me. I haven't heard from Joel yet. Um, so let's bring these guys in. Henry, you're up first. I'm going to bring you in. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Do I understand you're at a truck show somewhere? Yeah, Wapon, Wisconsin. Got it. How is it so far? Yep. It hasn't started. It starts in another hour. Got it. Okay. We're early. So, but good good bit of trucks here. You know, mostly the ones that don't do that well on fuel. <laughs> yeah. Are you there on behalf of Freightliner in conjunction with them, or is this something you're doing yeah, on your own? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here... No, I'm here with Freightliner and uh, Truck Country. Oh, good. 
Okay. I'm actually okay. in Truck Country's booth. Got it. All right. So, you know the subject, so you always ask us what what's on our mind. All this stuff about where the rates are in the spot market. It's like going to the casino and saying you're not winning anymore. That's really how I look at it if you put all your eggs in that basket to begin with. And and I have so many people asking me now, how do you get long-term contracts? Yeah, back when the spot market was busy, that's when you get them. Yeah, you know, right, they're, exactly. They're, so many people were bragging when when the market was in their favor how much they were getting out of everybody. And... And, and when, when that tide turns, and it always does. Laughing at the brokers. The, the, I, the world's I, against them. I, I, every time I would see one of these posts, I would shake my head, but it'd be another owner-operator. Oh, I had a broker call me, wanted me to move that load for 370 a mile. I laughed at him and hung up. I'm not pulling anything for less than $4 a mile. Okay, great. Uh, well, how's that it, working for you now? It, it, it's no different than the car market or anything else. If a new car comes out that's in short supply, a lot of times they sell it for more than what the MSRP was. As of but right now. Forgets, after that gets old, they'll sell them for a lot less than the MSRP at some point. As of right now, even though the car market's crazy and you wouldn't expect this, if you want a Mercedes G-Wagon, you're going to pay more than sticker. That's all there is to it. Significantly more than sticker still. That'll change at some point. It won't be like that, but you're right. It, um, that's what's going on right now. So uh, did you, um, did you hear the article I talked about this morning? Another uh, one of no. these stories that makes it to mainstream media. They, they go out and, and just, you know, not a trucking publication, but just media goes out and interviews this truck driver it's a woman. She's a single mother of three. And uh, let me just read you the, the, the blurb, the paragraph from the story and tell me what you think of this. Um, here's the quote. The report follows single mother of three, Arnesha Barron, who was an owner operator during the surge of the early days of the COVID-19 crisis. As rates recently tumbled, she was forced to get rid of her truck and has now entered a lease purchase program with Western Flyer Express. That's the story. Huh. Yeah. Sounds like jumping from the pot to the that, frying yeah, pan. That's exactly what I said this morning. That was the phrase I used. It, but they, they always make these articles look like the trucking industry is just a horrible place. And look, it's taking advantage of this single mother. The trucking industry didn't take advantage of her. Somebody else might have. But she's an adult. She chose to start a business during a pandemic. Probably not a great idea. I doubt that she knows much about business. Probably never read a single business book. I can almost guarantee she doesn't have an accounting system. And when she failed at this, she went to a lease purchase program. I, I tried to outline what kind of a financial mess she's going to create for herself in the next year or two, if she can make it that long. She will be behind on taxes several years. She will be upside down on that truck she sold, and that will eventually become income to her that she's going to have to pay tax on. And she can't discharge any of this stuff in bankruptcy. So, it, you know, it's more than just you started a business and you failed. 
she she will screw up her financial life for the next decade or longer because of this. And, and instead, we write these stories sure to will. make it sound like it's a horrible industry and you're being taken advantage of. No, it's not a horrible industry. It's an industry just like any other. There are opportunities to be a business owner, but nobody is entitled to a profit. You have to figure out how to make a profit. Yeah, what makes your service special over someone else's it's not. if you want special pricing that's above the market? <laughs> right, it's not. You There's know? nothing special about you. You have to go out and compete against everybody else that wants to do this. And I, I this phrase of, well, leave it on the dock and the rates will go up. No, they won't. And it's not going to happen anyway. When that guy is sitting there and he can't pay his damn it's fuel bill. Get, I've never... Or, or she, this woman, has to feed her kids at home. She's not leaving freight on the dock. She's going to run freight until she goes out of business. And that's how it's always going to work. So we should at least stop saying uh, 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 this, leave it on the dock, and rates will go up. It's never going to happen. Well, I've never seen it left on the dock. You know, in, in well, my time... You're right. It, it just it, don't happen. Let's say that it did. I always use this example, and it's a goofy example because it would never happen in the real world, but it 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 explains why the freight never gets left on the dock and never will, and the rates aren't going up because of this. The example I use, let's say we're in Miami. We know Miami is a horrible place to get freight out of, so it's a good example to use. And mm-hmm. we we know... We know for sure there are only five trucks in Miami today. And the reason we know it is because we're all sitting around a table at the same truck stop talking to each other. And we're saying there's only five trucks Mm -hmm. today in Miami. But guess what? There's only one load. That's it. There's only one load coming out of Miami and there's five trucks sitting here. That explains the ratio we're dealing with right now. It might not be that extreme, but it, it, it there's not enough freight and there's too many trucks. So let's watch what happens. The broker now knows, because he has all this data, hey, I've got the only load in town today, and there's five trucks. So I'm going to post this for 75 cents a mile or whatever. Make it as ridiculous as you want. And those five guys are looking around, and, and they see this load being posted. They go, oh, look at this idiot. We're not moving for 75 cents a mile. What a joke. So we'll just sit here until he raises his price. Okay. So one guy gets up to go to the bathroom and, you know, he's sitting in there on the phone calling the broker going, can you give me a little more? I'll do it for 80 cents a mile. Right. And then if his buddy hears him, he's in the next stall and he runs out back and calls the broker and says, no, I'll do it for that 75 cents because I got to get out of here. That rate's not going up. And four of you are still going to be screwed. And one person is going to have some revenue. That's just how this works. Well, Kevin, I don't even think it's going to work like that. What I think is going to happen is somebody that knows their markets is already going to have that load. You're before right. Before they even unload it. You're right. But, but th- this idea that leave the freight on the dock and rates will go up. Even if you could get every truck to stop and rates would go up, 
But the minute we bring the trucks back into the equation and people start negotiating for these loads and there's still not enough of them, that was the problem to begin with. There wasn't enough loads. Well, as soon as we say, okay, the rates went up, it's time to go back in. Now we'll haul that freight. It will take about 30 minutes for all those rates to go right back down to where they were before. Yeah, the simple thing is water always finds its own level. Uh, yep. Yeah. O- hey, always. This is uh, going to find its own level. Uh, this is a good conversation. I don't know why I have Joel, Joel's with us now, too, uh, and Alex sitting there. We might as well just all jump in together and talk over each other because <laughs> that's what Fridays are for. <laughs> hey, Joel, Alex, good morning. Hey, I thought I, I, thought, I, 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 hey, I, thought I had a nice early lead, you know. <laughs> how you guys doing good good morning uh, uh i just just love the topic yeah yeah leave it on the dock that'll that'll uh, get her done it, that'll, that'll fix raise it. rates for everybody in life life will be great you know i i don't know why i didn't think of that before um, well, no. through the fuel efficiency <laughs> why why would you want to operate an efficient business just leave it on the dock on your time that you're down, waiting for the price to go up while it's on a dock, we can bolt some chrome to the truck, put a big drop visor on it, extend a hood another 25 inches. Yeah, Jeez, we'll get her done. There's, bad, there's a plan. If it's bad enough, you might even be able to stretch. You might even be able to stretch the wheelbase if you have enough time. I'm thinking so. Yeah. Maybe find some bias ply tires to put on the truck too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? So, so oh. what do you think of this story? It made the mainstream media. It's a video, and you know, it's a tearjerker. She's a single as, mother of three. As normal, the media got it wrong. They're blaming the industry for somebody's poor business plan. That's all it is, and it's just right. typical normal bullshit. It's piss poor planning, piss poor business plan, no knowledge of trucking, gets in at a particularly good time, makes a few bucks, now went broke, and it's everybody's fault but her own. The story isn't even over, though. Look in the mirror. Oh, no, don't do do that. Don't look in the mirror. Yeah, yeah, the story isn't (laughs) over. But, but Joe, hold on. If if they regulated the industry, this would all go away. Of course, it right? Would. <laughs> because she would never have been allowed to be an owner operator. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah. right. It, it, yeah, for the most part, that would solve the problem. But is that really what we want? It's not what I want. But uh, the the fact that this story isn't even over. She failed with the truck. I guarantee you, she was way upside down on that thing when they finally repossessed it, and she went to a lease purchase. Yes, somebody what? threw a shovel to dig that hole a little deeper, right? <laughs> so now, we, in, wait a minute. In wait six a minute. months, we can do I, another tearjerker story about this woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, why, why wait I, I six months? Yeah, good point. I was wrong. It's not regulation. It's not regulation we need. If we had more ah. flexibility so that we could be more available to the shippers, that would fix it. <laughs> right. No, wait a minute. That, that, that hurts the supply again. <laughs> well, yeah, so, throw away, no, wait. Throw away we, the logbook and, and run faster. That'll solve the problem, too. Yeah, I was explaining in detail how that, that solves the problem. <laughs> she claimed in, in yeah, the interview she's knows the, working 70 hours a week. And that's max. I mean, she can't fix this problem by working any harder. No, 
no. And that's, that's a lesson that's true throughout any, any business or industry you're in. It's always about working smarter, not harder. Always. And here's a prime example of it. Anybody that's been in the industry for any time is looking at this, just shaking their head going, what the hell? Of course, the media, they're, they do what they do. They're just, I don't know. <laughs> Dom, well, I guess is the best word for it. You know, but, uh, you're exactly right. It's, it's smarter, not harder. And as owner operators and small fleet owners, it's all about efficiency, bottom line. That's, that's just it. You know, I, um, so sometimes as the market improves and the market's good where rates are strong, fuel's cheap, efficiency may not be in the number one position. It probably should be. But for a lot of people, that'll drop down the list things get crappy like they are now, it moves up the list, or you just blame everybody else for your problems. Which seems to be the more common approach. You know, I've got another <laughs> life lesson from the water here. I, I was back out two days in a row wing foiling. I'm feeling it. I'm a little beat up. But I'm. it, it, it worked to just, I, I told the story yesterday, I've been waiting for like perfect days and perfect wind and everything's got to be perfect or I'm not going out on the water. And Lisa keeps looking at me, and yesterday she was like, why don't you just go? You know, I'm obsessing over the apps. Well, the wind doesn't look exactly right, but it might be better in the next hour. And and she just kept looking at me going, why don't you just go? So I, finally I said, she's right, why don't I just go? So I just did. I, I Screw what the wind's doing. I'm just going to go out on the water. I'll practice something. One of my best days ever. But I, but Nice. <laughs> Once I learn this foiling thing, it's the foil that's really messing me up. I know there's going to come a time where I'm going to go, no, you know what? This is really easy. It's just not that difficult. But I will tell you right now, it is difficult. I'm frustrated. Um, my ego's hurt. Why am I having such a hard time learning this? I'm getting beat up. You know, we can say that right now, being an owner operator is just not that complicated. Once you know how to do this, it's actually a fairly simple business to run. Now, the conditions, you know, being gone, working all kinds of weird hours, but a lot of us like that part of it. Um, but I, I look at this right now and I could say, look, this is simple. Do this, 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 and this, and you'll be running a good business. Well, it's no different than somebody looking at me right now going, why are you struggling with this so much? It's pretty easy. Well, it, it will be once I learn it. I get that. So I will be honest, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to start a business as an owner-operator being a single mother of three. That's that's a big uh, hurdle. It, it, uh, being a single it, it, mother of three is a hurdle. Exactly. That's my point. And, and let, I, I don't want to tell start a business. I don't want to tell single mothers of three you shouldn't start a business, but you shouldn't until you've got a rock solid plan and you really know what you're doing because you have a big disadvantage here and you just have to understand that. It, it, no, you're, you're exactly right. Um, the, the, the problem, I think, just industry-wide with, with the, the owner-operators and small fleets, it boils down simply to a, a lack of education um, in the industry. There's no question about that. We get people from all oh, walks yeah. of life and here's a perfect example, you know, and, and you know, people confuse their gross revenue with their net revenue, you know, basic, simple stuff. 
and they, they look at those gross numbers and think, you know what, I'm going to be rich doing this. Yep. Um, if you have a work ethic, you think that, you know, all they got to do is work hard enough. I don't really need to know much. It's, it's a truck. How hard could this be? Um, and, and it's not really all that difficult once you understand right. that our primary advantage is efficiency. And then once you understand that, doing your homework based on that concept, things become easy. But when you're after the cool factor and and uh, you're just listening to the, the guys in the truck stop, you're going to struggle. You know, I, I could I could make a prediction. Well, that, that, that the if, word for that always is. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the the word for that is when you start hearing from the people. It's not a career. It's 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 a lifestyle. <laughs> no. no. You're doomed. No. You are absolutely doomed at that point. <laughs> yeah, that phrase makes me crazy. It's a business. I don't do this as a hobby. Yep. I just don't. I promise you if I was not getting paid really well to do this, I wouldn't be doing this. That's the difference between you know, a hobby case, and a business. I let, let's make it in my case for for wing foiling, which is my, my, my new biz, hobby or my gardening. Business. I will mm -hmm. spend all kinds of money on those things. I'll go buy two more wings before the season's over so I can go on really windy days and not <laughs> windy days. Hobbies cost you money. Businesses make you money. There's yes. a big difference. Don't confuse the two. So, you know, in my case, my business fits my lifestyle. You know, I'm kind of a loner. I like to be alone a lot and I have no problem being on the road, but I'm not trying to trying to make my lifestyle my my primary source of income, but my business does fit my right. my personal right. lifestyle, and I think that's the well, yeah. the important thing. It's kind of like fishermen; they go out and buy a two hundred thousand dollar bass boat to catch six bass, and you get what about a pound and a half of fillets out of it? <laughs> <laughs> does it make any sense at all? And it's the same kind of thing when you say trucking's a lifestyle. You're 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 bumping up against the same kind of delusional thinking. You know what I mean? It's well, just sure. I love the fish, and if I want to go spend that kind of money on a boat, that's fine. But I'm not expecting the fillets that I catch from those fish to support that boat and my I, fishing habit, so to speak. I and can relate. That's the problem we run into with a lot of owner operators. Yeah, no, I, I can I, too. I I mean, I, I love the fish. I would I, do that. I would drop the money on the boat. You know what I, I mean? I, I would never expect that I'm going to support myself on what I catch. I grow really expensive tomatoes. I, I, I didn't start a garden to save money, and it's a good thing I didn't because after four years of this, I haven't saved a penny with this garden. It's been outrageously expensive. Yes, when you think you can go to the store and buy potatoes, a 50-pound bag for five bucks. Exactly. <laughs> you, can, sense, you can go buy a but quart you enjoy doing it. of spaghetti sauce for three bucks. The spaghetti sauce I made, I wouldn't sell it for $25 a jar. I have too much work and money into right. it to well, sell it for that. Right, right. And I like yep. fish, but I usually go to the grocery store to get them. <laughs> I make a whole lot more sense, yep. <laughs> There's no doubt. Catch. Oh, shoot. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. But it, it is what we face in the industry. We have that that hobby mindset or that lifestyle mindset with a, a, a lot of people. And they're the first ones that will say, as soon as they can't pay their bills every month or every week, they're the first ones that are going to say, well, leave it on the dock because they've got no understanding of a free market. 
because right. it's just a lifestyle thing to them. They enjoy being out there. They like being out on the road. They like to travel. It pays the bills most of the time, but when it doesn't, they're completely lost. And the easiest thing to do is blame somebody else. And <laughs> you're the asshole because you hauled that cheaper than what I can. You're the problem, right? It, I've it, heard it, that yeah, so it, many it, times. Yeah, you're, you're the problem. The problem. Yes. So if I were able to yes. interview this woman, um, my very first question <laughs> after I said, well, hold on a second. I want to do this first. Hey, Alec, good morning. <laughs> good morning. I'm enjoying yeah, this. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting hungry. Too, <laughs> you, you, I, I just want to warn you, you got to stop being polite and you just got to jump in and talk over people. That's how this works. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't want you to get lost in the background there. So if I could interview this woman. Well, I'm getting lost in the sauce. Okay, good. My first question to her would be, Tell me about your customers. I would love to see the look on her face when I would ask that question. Because I guarantee you I would get a deer in the headlights look. I bet she's never even had a thought about customers. She doesn't have customers. She she uses brokers. They're not customers, <laughs> right? <laughs> a broker's not a customer. He's an evil person that skims all the money and gets rich, and they're just evil, yeah. <laughs> and there is probably the really big reason why we see people do what they do, because that, that one thing, they haven't identified that they have a customer, or if they do, they think their customer is evil and trying to rip them off. I can't imagine trying to run a business like that. I, you know, this, this round that I'm on right now with the multiple stops is a prime example of that. And Alec can attest to this. We have been bending over backwards to accommodate our customers, direct customers and brokers in order to make this round work. And it's absolutely essential that whether it's direct or a broker, that you view them as equals and as customers that you are there to service. If you don't do that and you have a delineation between a broker and a direct customer, you've got problems that you're never gonna overcome. It's just not gonna happen. Uh, you're not gonna build those relationships with the brokers. You're never gonna see the cream of the crop freight, you know, you're always going to get thrown into that bottom bin of, um, here's the cheapest stuff we got and, uh, you're on it type of stuff. So, um, it, it, Alec has spent this trip. I, I can't tell you how many hours on the phone making this <laughs> stuff work. It, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work. It is a hell of a lot of work. Joe, you got two evil persons. I mean, you, you have a back office person working. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's a, it's a horrible thing. Right? <laughs> horrible thing. <laughs> Shoot. But no, I, I hear you. You know, office people are horrible. Brokers are horrible. It's, it, you know, it's the stuff that we're not willing to do as drivers. That has value. I am yes. not willing to do what Alec is doing right now. I've got things that I can do that are, are, are more valuable to our testing and consulting part of the business. You know, thinking about ideas, developing concepts and whatnot. Um, so I need my mind to be free for that. Alec is great with the slide rule and, you know, he puts his, his, uh, his goofy nerd glasses on and he gets that stuff going. I give him concepts. He figures things out mathematically when he's not doing that. He's working with our customers, regardless if it's a broker or if it's a direct customer. And I'm sure if you ask Alec, he would tell you there's no difference between the two. 
Oh, absolutely not. I mean, the customer is the one who's paying the bill. That's that exactly right. You want to get paid, or don't yeah. you? Yeah. And, and, you know, lately when I when I get in this debate on the Twitter spaces and I I get the other side and and I bring this up, the brokers, your customer, I've had them scream back at me. No, they're not. And I'll say, well, then who is your customer? And they'll say the shipper. There's a huge problem there. Because you have <laughs> no a, connection to your the customer. customer right. going through a broker. Right. And, and, and the broker is your customer, and you are there to accommodate that broker. If you don't like the rates that they're paying or you're afraid they're making too much for some reason for work that you're not willing to do or you can't do, um, find a different broker or go someplace else. Go direct. But right. the bottom line is that is your customer. They are providing a very very valuable service. It's work that the majority of us just are not willing to do, calling customers direct and and managing that relationship because it takes a hell of a lot of time and effort. Or we're in an area of the country where we just simply don't know anybody. You know, we, we don't know any of the direct customers. So this nonsense that brokers are evil and they don't provide any value and they're just skimming money. It's all, it's all horseshit. It's you know, all just total think, nonsense. And here's it, it, a, you know, Another, I, I kind of get fired up about this when yeah, I start I, talking about it because, you know, I understand just by watching the stuff that Alec has to go through on the phone constantly that, to tell me that there's no value there, that we should cap how much money they make for the shit that they have to put up with. That's nonsense. Well, here's you another know, we one. have to put up with a lot of stuff out on the road from the yeah. driver's perspective, traffic and, you know, nasty people at the docks, people not where they're supposed to be to pick up freight when you're doing multiple stops like I do. Do I want somebody saying, hey, we're going to cap your earnings as a driver because you make too much money and there needs to be a law about that <laughs> where we're going to we're just going to cap the amount of money that you can make. Bullshit. You know, if you're good at what you do, if you're good at what you do, you should be rewarded for it, and there should be no cap on or restriction on what you make. And if somebody is just jealous about what you're, you know what, just you're probably in the wrong industry. Yeah, you know, and, you, and, you and, probably, you, so and you probably there's, just there's shouldn't a lot be in of business. skill involved there, and there's a lot of time, a lot of frustration. And yeah, Alec is at his house, but he is on the phone constantly. Nonstop. You know, there's and a that gets to be old shit in a hurry. There's a business mindset. Uh, I think a poor act with the. And there's an employee uh, mindset. And if you're an employee, you should probably have an employee mindset. If you're in business, you should probably have a business mindset. We had another example of this this week in the space. <laughs> Somebody came on and talked about how much they pay their carrier for the services that carrier provides to them. I think that's an excellent way to look at it. And somebody jumped in, I won't say who it is, but they just ripped him a new one. Oh, you got this so wrong. You don't pay that carrier for anything. They're, they're, they're taking that money from you. And we, this is semantics. We could argue this all day long, but it's just a mindset. I like the first guy's mindset. He said, no, look, I, I, I know that load paid $1,000. The broker is, is, or the carrier in this case, takes 15% of it. So I get 85% of the load. But I look at it as though I got all the money and then I paid the carrier to do things for me. 
I think that's a great way to look at it. The carrier found that freight, sold the freight, services the freight, bills the freight, handles all the customer issues, takes care of my fuel tax for me, puts me into a drug consortium so I don't have to deal with that and pay for that. He looks at it as he's paying the carrier for services. And I like that approach. But boy, they just all over it. Oh, you've got this so backwards. That's so wrong. That's not what's happening here. Well, no, it's exactly what's happening. What's wrong with thinking about it that way? It, it's the same w- whether you look at it from either perspective. Right. I think that's the right. way I look at it. Right, but it is. So, it, it's the same. Yeah. And if you, don't want the, if you don't want the services that are being provided, then go out and get your own damn deal, uh, DOT authority <laughs> right. and deal with all the bull crap that I have to deal with on Joel's behalf. And yeah, find I mean, out <laughs> how much work yeah. it is. Yeah how much aggravation it is, how much risk you've now got. It's a whole different world. And, and, and I I'll tell you, yeah, accounts receivable risk. I think of poor Alec. Alec, you know, he has to deal with the driver, too. <laughs> and imagine that. But yeah. the one thing I always tell people, as soon as they buy a truck, I remind them, as soon as they buy a truck, they're no longer a truck driver. They're a business owner who drives a truck. Yeah. You know, that's that there's so much truth to that. And when I started uh, Alpha Drivers Testing and Consulting, I'll tell you, I did not want to have my own business. I was doing everything I could to figure out how can I get done what I want to do through um, Ploger Transportation and make everything work. And I just got to the point where I kind of outgrew the, the capacity that I could work within it at, at Ploger. Um, right. There was certain data and information, you know, they didn't want to be shared. And I, I was just up against the brick wall, but I didn't want any of that <laughs> that we're talking about. I was pretty happy with right. that doing pretty well. Um, so the, I knew the only way that I was going to do this is if I could afford to bring in a back office person, um, to, to run things. Now, I will tell you right now, if I was just a single truck operation and wasn't running testing and consulting in conjunction with transportation, um, probably wouldn't have made the jump. Uh, but uh, there's, there's no way I can support two people on one truck you know, all right. by itself. That, right. that, that's a trick big trick. So I know some people are looking at that scratching their head going, well, how in the hell do you afford to have a back office person with just with one, one truck? truck? I've got a lot of other stuff going on <laughs> on the testing and consulting side of things right. too. So just want to be clear about that as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. That that uh, that makes sense. Hey, uh, calls are starting to pile up on us. So let's, uh, let's let other people talk over us as well. Um, we're going to go to Oklahoma. Jeremy, welcome. Hello. What's on your mind today? How we doing? Oh, a whole lot. Um, so I bought a truck back in 2019. So it's completely depreciated out. In April, I had an accident and it was totaled. So I got an insurance settlement for close to $60,000. And... Out of that settlement, the insurance company paid off that truck, which I owed about 8000 left on it. And I took that and bought this truck that I'm in right, this, right now for 35 And, of course, I had money left over. Right. Uh, my question is, how the hell do I go about all of this on my taxes? It's really simple. So, so the, bet, the way I can simplify okay. it for you is 
um, forget about the truck being totaled. Just, just ignore all those details as though they didn't exist. All you need to do is okay. on the date you got that settlement from the insurance company, you sold your truck for $60,000. That's all that happened here. So we show the, how much did you pay for this truck? I just, I better ask that. The original truck or the one I just bought? The original truck. Uh, the original was, uh, it was close to 60. That's why I had it insured for that. Oh, okay. So cloak, if, if you want an exact answer, I'm going to have to have exact numbers here. Darn close. Um, what was the original purchase price of the truck? The truck itself was 54, uh, but with the financing and no, forget the financing. I don't, I don't even care. Okay. I just want the purchase 50, price of the truck, 54. 54. Okay. You are one of these weird situations that we never dealt with until COVID hit <laughs> and prices got all goofy. You actually have a capital gain on this truck. You've got to calculate and report. So the $6,000, if we're 54, we bought it, you sold it for 60. You actually have a $6,000 capital gain to deal with first. Then you have $54,000 recapture of depreciation to deal with. So, and that's what you'll do. You sold the truck. Just forget all the other details. They don't change anything. You sold the truck. You got 60000 for it. So we show the sale, capital gain, recapture of depreciation. Now you went out and bought a truck. That's all that happened. You have $35,000 to depreciate. You should just depreciate it all at once. Just just write it all off in the first year to try to offset the 60000 in recapture. And, uh, great. And, More forms and, I got to put on that damn return. And, and this, event, <laughs> this event did cost you tax money. I mean, you're going to pay more tax because this happened because you, you you bought a cheaper truck, which is fine. Probably a really good idea. Um, you just didn't spend enough money to offset the gain. So your tax bill went up. Right. That's what I thought you were going to say. I was hoping you were going to say something different, but you didn't. It's, it's not necessarily um, a, a bad thing, for, I really. I have a question for Henry, too. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. It was a weird cycle. We got to pay a little capital gains, but but you got sixty thousand for the truck. You 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 re, in the real world, you got more for it than what you paid for it. Right. No, I'm I'm happy with Congratulations. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Henry, I got a question for you. Um, the previous truck I had was a Cascadia, but it had a had a ten speed wasn't an evolution. This truck is an evolution. Um, it's 505, 1750, 12-speed, 285 uh, Detroit rears. What is your uh, thoughts on that setup? I think Henry had to jump off, actually. I just seen it. Henry jumped? Up. Ah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, he is gone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Joel, I, well, Joel, I can ask you. I can ask you a question too. Um, okay. You had a you had an opinion about Ecoast. I remember before. What was that? Well, if you have a more traditionally geared truck, your Ecoast is fine. Your truck that you currently have, two eighty five, five hundred five, seventeen fifty, leans more towards the traditional side. It's not really downsped to any 
great degree. So e-coast is probably gonna, gonna benefit you. Well, I can tell you, it started freaking me the hell out when it started doing it. Cause I, every time it was doing it, I thought the truck was dying. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. A lot of people, the first time that happened, yeah. you gotta, you gotta get used to it, but it definitely is a fuel efficiency improver for, um, traditionally geared trucks and moderately downsped down to about 264. Once you get below that, your kind of roll window wire in gear, uh, kind of is it's big enough to offset the having to drop in and out of gear, the little bump and fuel back and forth. And, um, I, I'm still studying that to be, to be completely honest with you, if it makes sense as you get more aggressive, but definitely in your case, you're definitely going to want to use that if, if you have the option to. Well, it is a 12 speed over, it is a 12 speed overdrive too, though. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of, you're, you're right on the edge of being considered downsped. The 505-1750 is your clue that that's not technically downsped because you have moderate torque and high horsepower. And in order to get to that horsepower, you have to run more RPM. Downsped right. about running low RPM. So if you would have been an 1850 or a 1950, 455, then things occur at lower RPM horsepower does. So your gear ratio for that horsepower and torque is a good setup for what it is. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's just not what we would consider in today's terms aggressively downsped. It's moderately downsped. It will perform well for you. Uh, the one thing that Detroit does very well, they have a very efficient engine at moderate RPM, probably a tick more efficient than even the Volvo is in that moderate RPM range. So I, I think you'll do well. Cool. Well, I gotta say, I'm upset with your brother's company. Um, oh, I bought this truck July 12th and it was what, two weeks later that I, I'm seeing all these posts on Facebook about all these plogger trucks for sale. <laughs> yeah, for, well, for like 10,000, for like 10,000 less than I paid for this one. I was like, yeah, you gotta be freaking kidding me. <laughs> There's still some out there. They're, they're going pretty fast though. They're, they're selling them. Yeah, I would have been on a flight over. I would have been on an overnight flight had I seen that before I bought this truck. I I will tell you, and I'm going to apologize to everybody right up front. I have gotten a thousand freaking phone calls from people. Which one's the best one? Do they have maintenance? I mean, just and I I haven't I haven't worked there in a year, I really don't know exactly what's going. In fact, hey, I heard it from somebody on a Twitter space that they were even in the marketplace. I didn't know that he had them up for sale, so I called him. I said, "What the hell's going on?" He goes, "Yeah, I decided to move a batch." I'm like, "Jesus, I'm getting blown up on the phone calls here." So, Uh, well, that's why I said I was mad at your brother and not you. Hey, 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 (laughs) Joel, there's there's a revenue opportunity for you uh-huh. here like in real estate you should become like a buyer's agent exactly exactly yeah. no, 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 no 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 <laughs> yeah because you know who's gonna run that part of it right exactly right yeah uh, come on alec you're not that busy yeah yeah, uh, something about exploiting uh, my uniqueness. No, yeah, that's right. There you go. Yeah, yeah I, hey, I think I'm the one that's getting exploited here. Hey, but, uh, I, I, I know this feeling. I have to deal with this. I had to deal with this this week. We like to run specials in the store. We like to give away some things and, you know, have fun with it. But every time we do, 
Like we, we have a special right now. I think if you spend 150, you get a free gift. What else we got going on? Um, we'd like to do that kind of stuff, but every time we do, we will get, and our tribe's pretty good. They, they complain, but they're pretty nice about it anyway. We will get blasted with emails. Oh my God, I just put in a big order yesterday and now you have this special. I, I know, but what are we going to do? I, that's just how this stuff works. Should we just not run these specials? We, we don't have to give stuff away if we don't want. Um, but we actually get people who are unhappy about us giving stuff away because they just ordered yesterday and they missed it. <laughs> Happens all the time. Yeah. I believe that. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, I, know, I feel your pain. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, I don't know what to do about it. So, all right, let's... Uh, Let's grab another call. Let's go to Oregon. Benny, welcome. Hi, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Um, I I just bought a new truck. It's a 2024 Volvo 740 with the turbo okay. compound engine. Your first truck mm -hmm. or and, uh, did you replace nice. something? I'm replacing a truck. Okay. Go ahead. And, um... I like to tinker with things, so I was looking up turbo blankets and what it did for pickup trucks, like diesel pickup trucks, and I was interested to see, like, w wondering if it would make, like, a difference in efficiency for the TC engine, because I got it with a 247 rear ends, and what mm. I was reading was um, they did the test on a truck with without a VGT turbo. It was just a standard, and it made peak uh, power, I think it was like one and a half seconds before uh, without having the turbo blanket. And uh, But it didn't increase horsepower or anything overall, but I was just wondering if that would be helpful with like a slightly downsped truck, like the one that I'm getting. So, so the whole concept of downsped is to slow the RPM down. So we're not really worried or even wanting to try to get the peak in a hurry. We want things to actually happen slower and smoother. Holding the heat in the exhaust system probably is not a bad thing. Um, as long as you're not getting a lot of moisture or condensation under that blanket and causing corrosion issues, I don't think it's going to hurt mm. anything by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't think your impact is going to be great enough the way the logic works with these downsped trucks that it's, it, you're going to even be able to feel it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm please. sure that you probably are getting to peak a little quicker, but it's irrelevant for the way the truck is put together. I can give okay. you some, some feedback on this. So, and everything Joel said right now is, is right. Um, th the whole idea of trying to eat, whether we're using, you know, uh, heat wraps on the exhaust or the turbo, shortening the exhaust, trying to take 90 degree bends out and, and keep things as straight as possible. Sometimes slightly bigger exhaust pipe, but we can't go too big. The whole, all of this is really, the goal is to reduce back pressure. We're, we're trying to get the exhaust out easier and faster um, because back pressure is is force the engine has to generate to overcome 
And it's not using that energy to move down the road. It's wasted energy is what back pressure is in a diesel. So all of these things are designed to reduce that back pressure. If you keep the air hot, it moves easier. I've even talked about that goofy turnout for a, a stack that I saw that had the weird cutout to it. The design yeah. was to create a little bit of a vacuum up there at the top that actually helps suck the exhaust out. What we find, all of these things can work, but what we really found once we went to DPFs and one boxes and, and there's probably no measurable advantage to doing this anymore. <laughs> here's here's even, exactly what I was going to Even tell on you. an engine without all that stuff, a nice, simple, you know, pre-emission electronic engine, we were never able to measure any improvement. We know it's there on physics. We're just using physics here. We we never saw a, an improvement measured. And I think on these new trucks, it's just not even worth messing with. So one of the things that you have to be aware of on a emissions truck is that all of the back pressures and restrictions are calculated right. into the design of that system. And when we start to play with that to any great degree, you're going to trip check engine lights and what we used to consider you know or made sense to improve efficiency when you didn't have the emissions just by reducing back pressure work to a certain degree like kevin said right now we have to have x amount of back pressure to push egr through the engine to make it work right, right. if we reduce that back pressure our egr volumes might not possibly be right so just remember that Despite what a lot of people will tell you on the road, these engineers that design this stuff, they calculate all this stuff. They understand what's going on, and it's happening for a reason. And when when we play with that and we get outside of their limits, then we're going to have issues. So be careful what you do. Uh, the one thing with the TC engine, uh, that blowdown turbine, it operates on heat. Um, so putting a blanket on it probably might help to some degree. Like we said, I just don't think it's going to be worth the effort, the time and the effort to, to go through the hassle, putting a blanket on it. If it's something you like to do and you like to fiddle with it, you know what, have at it and report yeah. back and tell us what you find. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty much it. I was just, I just wanted to tinker with stuff, but I just didn't want to go like, you know, beyond that really, I wasn't really looking for horsepower or anything. Just, you know, I, I do this. See numbers. I do this too. I, I'll tinker with stuff and it just makes me feel good. It doesn't really make any sense for me to be doing it, but I feel good doing it. So I do it. You know what I mean? And, 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 sometimes and then I try you learn to see something. if it's making, having any impact. Yes. Yeah. Every once in a while, sometimes you learn something. every, you know, hundredth little project you do like that, you, you learn something that's a, a nice takeaway. So, um, I just don't think that you're going to see anything huge, but you never know. I, I doubt that. Right. Say, I'm the same way. I don't think you're going to notice a difference. And what I would watch out for is if you try it and then you start getting weird, you know, warning lights here and there. It just just keep that in mind that it could actually be caused by this. I doubt that it has a big enough right. impact on anything, really. Um, but you just keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I figure it's like a it's easy enough thing to do because yeah, like turbo blanket just slips on and slips off, and so like I could just pull it off in five minutes. 
So, and um, the other thing I wanted to ask is uh, the previous caller was talking about eco roll. And so, should I turn turn eco roll off in my new truck? With the 247? With 247, I would run it with 247. You're, you're right at that. If it bugs you, shut it off. Um, if it's something that you can adapt to, I would leave it on. Um, you're, you're 247 overdrive, correct? You're not direct drive. Yeah, overdrive. And um, Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I'd, just, still, I'd still run it. Okay, because I run local in uh, Portland, and uh, I don't do very much driving like maybe maybe 200 miles a day at most just around sure. this area so sure it, it won't hurt that. to have it on um there's a setting in there that they call schwung and that is the sensitivity of the of the eco roll when it turns on and off you may activate it and in your duty cycle it it may only come on occasionally so it might not make any difference one way or the other it's not going to hurt anything and um, if if your duty cycle's right, you may even see a little bump in fuel efficiency out of it. Okay, because I'm probably not. I'm probably using cruise maybe twenty percent of the time because I'm just in traffic so much. So I don't. I don't know if it would even activate. It, it might not. It may not. <laughs> in your duty cycle, it may not make a bit of difference one way or the other. But it won't hurt anything if it's on. So. Okay. You have really nothing to lose to turn it on to try it. All right. Sounds good, then. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted to know. <laughs> all right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Mississippi. Matt, welcome. Hey, good morning. Uh, I guess I learned a lesson from Joel here uh, the last weekend. What's that? I, uh, I don't pay okay. close enough attention to what's going on around me. So Uh-oh. Sunday morning when I got home and I get off the exit for the freeway to go home, I don't pay attention to what goes on on truck stuff. But if I would have looked to my right, there would have been a purple Volvo parked in that parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I seen your post uh, Monday, uh, you know, a week ago now. Yeah, Rush City, Minnesota. Yeah, that's you were three yeah. miles from my house. <laughs> well, shoot! If I'd have known that, I would have give you a call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, uh, awesome. But, uh, so the conversation about failures as owner operators, I just want to redirect this conversation to business, not trucking, not this industry. Mm-hmm. 20%, well, actually, it's 21.5% of small businesses fail in the first year. 50% by five years. So people failing in the trucking industry is no different than any other business. Right. It right. is not a very successful uh, plan for an income to start your own business. It's more people fail than succeed. Uh, how many times over the years have you heard me when somebody calls, I want to be an owner operator. Can you help me? What's my next question? Tell me the first reason you want to do that. Well, I want to make more money. Uh, worst reason ever. Try again. That's always my answer. <laughs> always. Worst reason ever to start a business is you want to make more money. Because the odds are you're going to make so, less. This- 
to, to get started. And you're going to work harder doing and, it. And have yes. more worries and more <laughs> risk and more anxiety and more sleepless nights. And yeah, it, it's not for everybody. Yeah. So this is just coming from Google. Let me know if you agree with any of this. So one of the other questions when I search those numbers um, just the automatic questions, why 90% of small businesses fail? And that 90% is within 10 years. Right. So 90% of all businesses fail before 10 years. Those are horrible numbers. According to business owners, yeah, according to business owners, reasons for failure include money running out, being in the wrong market, <laughs> lack of research, <laughs> Bad partnerships, ineffective marketing, and not being an expert in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and we have to clarify something yep. about being an expert in the industry. It almost never means being an expert at your job. There's a big, big difference there. I know... Well, I have another example of this. I've told this story many times. My neighbor, who happens to be our architect, and he's a brilliant designer and architect. I, I just, I will brag about the guy all over the place. He just creates such unique stuff. He is the, one of the worst contractors I've ever seen. He, he knows how to build stuff. He knows how to design stuff. He's really, really good at that. He can't run the business side. He's a disaster. So uh, being an expert in the industry does not mean being the guy who can win the, the truck driving championship. That's not what we're talking about. Kevin. Go ahead. This is, this is exactly why I have Alec in my back office. There is no way in hell that I'm running a business and doing what I want to do. Right. It ain't happening. It's one yep. or the other. And I, I like to think that I know a thing or two about putting together a truck. Um, probably quite a bit more than I know about taxes and <laughs> yeah, right. business. So you need to recognize that and understand and admit it. If, if you know, that's your weak point. I, I knew it full well going in, uh, starting this, that if I had to do this on my own, I'm not going to make it. I would have been in that list where I would not made it through the first year. Let me tie this into one of my other topics. So being an expert in the industry, and I'm saying that has nothing to do with your driving skill. That, that's my opinion on this. Your driving skill has almost nothing to do with this. One of the topics I keep seeing being posted a lot lately on social media is I guess we've given up on the idea that the rates are all the broker's fault now. We, we I, I maybe I've tried to dispel that myth. They don't want to push that one anymore. Lately, here's the post I keep seeing. Oh, my God, look at this rate they're trying to move this load for. This is all because of the deregulation in 1980. Uh, yeah, you're right. right. It is. Right. I'll, I'll give it to you. You're right. It is. But they say it as though that was a bad thing. And I keep asking them. Do you want to go back to a regulated industry? And nobody will talk to me about it. They keep posting it, but nobody will respond. Yeah. Is that what they want? It's are there people a who. Cycle. And, and what that would tell me is these are guys that have been owner operators for a decade or more, and they still don't understand that. You know, when they say that, 
when they say that, oh, my God, look at the rate they're trying to move this for. I am sure if you could track the history of that movement, there were times when the rate was much higher. Yes. Did that same owner-operator go, oh, my God, that's just too much. I need to get some money back to that shipper because that rate was too high. Do you ever hear that? No. No. I do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry. I meant to be mute. Yeah, there you go. So let, let's look at it this way. Anybody, I don't care how long they've been in business, anybody that could say – in this industry, rates are the way they are because of brokers or rates are the way they are because of the Motor Carrier Act of 1980. Would you look at somebody who makes those kind of statements or believe those those things and say they're an expert in the industry? Hell no. They don't even seem to have a <laughs> no, clue okay. of how it works. Yeah. Or, or yeah. make the statement, yeah. I don't yeah. have a customer. Or the customer's the shipper, even though the broker's paying me. Those kind of statements are, I'd look at those people and go, you're not, you're certainly not an expert in the industry, and you really don't even understand how business works. Correct. And well, I don't care yeah, how they, long you've been doing wanna, this, and I don't care how good of a driver you are. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. No, you're it's exactly right. Everybody thinks... Everything used to be better. Everything was easier yeah. at one point. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. It's the same uh-huh. thing, you know, we talked about the trucks. Well, okay, you go back old enough, you know, before a lot of electronics and computerized stuff, they were simple. You know, you didn't have electronic issues. But I don't want to go back to driving a 1960-something with no air conditioning. Well, well, if we go back, they were... There's a lot of things I don't want to go back to. Well, wait a minute. If we go back, they were much easier. You didn't have to worry about adjusting or replacing your front brakes. You didn't have any. Yeah, right. (laughs) So... One of a, a great example that I, yeah. I, I can always I can always think about in my own mind is my dad. He he was a miser, a penny pincher, and he ran things beyond the grave. I mean, he just did. We were running two stroke Detroit's into the mid nineties, <laughs> and think about think about this for a second. You know, he he was one of these guys. It's simpler. It's simpler, and that that's what he believed. It was. It was slightly simpler. You didn't have to educate yourself on any of the electronics, but you know, you were putting rods and mains in them at what two hundred thousand, like everybody did. You were having to change oil every ten thousand miles. I mean, it, it, that argument that it's simpler is justification for people not having to learn the new technology. Once you learn the new technology and you truly start to understand it, um, it is so much better. Yeah. But it's hard to it's hard to really learn that and into it takes some time and some effort. You have to want to educate yourself. And let's face it, most truck drivers, you know, they kind of just wanted to get out of high school because they didn't want to have to pay attention in class. It's let's grab the steering wheel, stare out the windshield, and hope for the best. And and that's that's the mindset that a lot of us are in. Let's let's keep it very simple. So I don't have to think about that. I don't want to have to worry about that. I just I just want to drive. That's what I want to do. Yep. And, and that's problematic. And, and if that's the case, then go be an employee driver somewhere. That's a real simple answer. Yeah, Let somebody yeah, else yeah. do all that stuff. <laughs> but it, that's not cool, though. I you know. know. you got to have the right. cool factor in right. there, too. 
That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> it's not cool to be a company driver. That's it. And that's, yeah. I think, what pushes these whole lease. So the company driver can be cool and call themselves an owner-operator. I think that's why the majority of these guys end up in these lease purchase programs. You know, the, the story that today, the, the, the single mother of three, she was an owner-operator. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know the whole story. I really would. I, I would love to go back and see when she became an owner-operator, what happened. What kind of truck did she buy? Did she understand specs? Any of this stuff. I'd love to know that story. But this is so backwards. When I find somebody who's in a lease purchase and they're struggling, my goal is always to help them either figure out quickly that business is not for them and let's just get out of this and go find a good job or business is for you. You just you have to start doing some things differently. You have to learn. You got to do this. So I'll do whatever I can to get them out of that lease purchase into their own truck and make a real attempt at this. For somebody to be an owner-operator, lose the truck, and then go to a lease purchase, I can't imagine anything more backwards <laughs> than this. Uh, it's pretty dyslexic. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and same with the whole... Not, not a good path. Um, going back to regulation... I really think the only people we should ask that opinion of are people that are over the age of 70 because they're the only ones that understand what running under regulation was about. I don't. I, all I can do is read what it was like. I didn't experience it. I didn't buy my first truck till 86. We were past. We, we were certainly feeling the effects of deregulation in 86. No doubt we were still in transition but I have no idea what it's like to operate a truck in a regulated market like that. But I can look back and see there were some huge problems. The government told you you can't be in business. That makes me a little crazy. Why would right. anybody ever want to give bureaucrats right. that kind of put control? Well, and. Um the people that say they want things to go back to regulation, regulated, um, they must really like the current inflation and want to drive it even higher. <laughs> oh. Well, and, and here's the other part of this. The owner-operators that are advocating for regulation, you can bet your ass that if the government came back in and regulated everything, there are a lot of very, very smart people with a whole lot of money that are going to buy up all the damn lanes and put you out of business anyway. <laughs> You're going to be driving a truck for some dude that's a lot smarter than you are and has a lot more money than you have if that type of regulation exists. And that's the big problem with it. Um, well, somebody... You talk about mega carriers controlling things now. Um, it, it, it'll be crazy if we would happen to re-regulate things. Somebody's going to have to explain something to me. Because if I look <laughs> at this, and, and if they're, first off, we're only taking time on this because it's Friday and we talk about whatever the hell we want on Friday. This, is, this isn't even a conversation worth having. It's never going to happen. There's, there is not a snowball's chance in hell that no. we're ever bringing this back. It, it's never been talked about. That's why I wonder why they even bring this up. But since they do, then I'll try to engage them in conversation. Maybe we could teach somebody something. The way I see it, if somehow somebody got the industry to go back to where we were prior to 1980, who and how are they going to eliminate all the trucking companies that couldn't exist anymore. 
Who gets to choose that? Whose authority is going to be canceled? You know who, who gets to choose that? You know who gets to choose that, Kevin? The guy that has the most money in the bank and can afford the attorneys and the probably to right. uh, mm-hmm. keep themselves yeah. in business. Yep. But, Guys like me, we don't stand a snowball, snowball chance in hell of making the cut. Right. They don't have so, the money to roll with those kind of guys. So I, I'm correct about this, right? If we implemented that same form of regulation we had prior to 1980, we would have to cancel a lot of authority. Because that's what they yeah. did. That's how they Absolutely. controlled the rates by controlling the supply. So that's what they would have to do again. They would have to say, look, there's only this much freight available And the most efficient way to handle that much freight is with this many trucking companies. But we have way too many trucking companies. So we'd have to get rid of them. Who who gets to decide? Well, let me tell you how we should decide this. The way we're doing it right now, let the free market figure out who goes out of business. (laughs) Right? We'll get hey, back to Kevin, equilibrium. We'll get back to where rates are better, and and but but we won't get there until the free market decides Uh-oh. who is the overcapacity right now. Well, my vote would be anybody who got it after February thirteenth, two thousand three. <laughs> that's when I got my authority. So <laughs> mine would be September of ninety six. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Sorry, if that's the case, um, Joel, Joel, you're out of business. I just got two words: <laughs> proact. Yeah. Oh. Proact. That's how we're going to get get back to re-regulation. Yeah. Let that's me, the dumbest yep. idea, let, right? Ever let, concocted. Yeah. Let me tell you who's going to decide if this were to happen. Um, Pete Buttigieg gets to decide who is that who you want deciding if you get to be an owner of a carrier or not who's the guy that old guy that froze up he was given the speech what's his name oh Um, yeah mcconnell mitch mcconnell McConnell. so we're what's going to happen is we're going to re-regulate then we're going to have to beg mitch mcconnell to give us capacity when the market's moving (laughs) and it takes him 45 minutes to get the word yes or no out of his mouth and then you're gonna, then there's gonna money's gonna have to exchange hands somewhere in order to get that capacity behind the scenes. So all we're essentially gonna do is make a bunch of Congress people even more rich, and you're gonna screw up the supply chain even more than what it is right now. So um, bad idea all the way around. Now all that being said, as we talked about in the past, I think there needs to be some more regulation or protection in terms of company driver pay. Yes. But as far as owner operators and fleet owners, free market is definitely the way to go. Um, Don't re-regulate this. It's just going to create a huge problem. So, you know, I I keep trying to. Survival of the fittest. I, I keep trying to ignore this new association that I keep running into on Twitter, and they came after me pretty quickly early on. And, and I just thought, you know, it, it, we kind of shook hands and said, you know, let's just do agree to disagree. And I was going to try to ignore them. And, and it's really hard because I keep seeing things. So there's this whole theory. We, we had this argument um, like I talked about the other day that, you know, if you're leased to a carrier, you're not even a real um, business. You're just a glorified employee. 
Well, I easily disprove that. You can disprove that over and over. I, I, I don't see that being the case at all. But that was the attitude. Well, if you're not a if you don't have your authority, you're leased to a carrier. You're just a glorified employee. You don't even own a business. Then a couple days later, one of their officers posted. Maybe it was the Pro Act. It was something about uh, overtime pay in trucking and paying drivers more fairly. And and I, I'm all for that on the employee side. We've talked about it. But their post actually was this. This is an owner operator, an officer of an owner operator association. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't want to go look for it right now. But it was basically saying he posted this act about paying employee drivers. And his first sentence was, well, what does this do for me as an owner operator? What? Nothing. Nothing, but why would it? (laughs) You really want some sort of protection from the government again about how you get paid? If you want that, go be an employee. That's that's how this works. Exactly. But if if you're going to be a business owner, (laughs) don't be crying to the government about protection that, that they're giving to employees. I, I I agree. 100% agree. <laughs> I don't even understand that's the mindset. The reason the, that's the reason the PRO Act gains traction with Congress, because most people personally don't understand the difference between an employee and an independent contractor. So now they're asking the government to solve the problem, e- which... E- Even an association (laughs) that has been formed for owner operators and carriers is making an argument of what does this do for me? Nothing. Why should it do anything for you? Why are you even asking that question? Yes, nothing directly. And it should have nothing directly to do with an owner operator. Um, uh, Employee pay protection should have zero to do directly. But in the grand scheme of things, if company driver pay is brought into line, that rising tide will raise all boats. There's no doubt. I agree. Just like, you know, everybody threw a fit about the Mm -hmm. ELD that did tighten capacity and rates went up and the same type of thing would, would happen here. So, um, is it mm -hmm. something that an owner operator should support pay protections for employee drivers? Probably. Is it going to directly impact you? No, but as that type of legislation takes hold, you are going to see rates across the board inch up. There's no doubt about that. That's the part, Joel, that keeps getting made with the increased flexibility. I, I hate that every time I hear that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it makes my skin crawl. It, it, it just, it just yeah. devalues our what, time. That's all. Yeah, that's exactly what yeah. we're saying is, hey, yeah. give me a pay cut and make me work harder. That's it, what that is saying. You know what other phrase I hate? Yeah. Give the carrier just, flexibility. It, yeah. This phrase makes my teeth hurt. <laughs> Level the playing field. <laughs> oh, hell no. Oh. Oh, yeah. I busted my ass to, <laughs> no, to create an unlevel <laughs> playing field, and I want it that way. As yes, as owner yeah. operators, we have the advantage that you know nobody. I don't want to say nobody. The majority of owner operators don't recognize that we have the advantage because we can be far more efficient than any mega carrier. It's not even close. Any You're mega right. carrier. Any, and, be, oh, it, and it's yeah. like even if we have from to a pay. Baby. 
Yes, even if we have to pay double or twice for our tires or fuel, it doesn't make any difference. It's that efficiency that's going to far outweigh that cost that they can exploit in economies of scale. And that's what kind of keeps things balanced. But unfortunately, I'll bet 85% of owner-operators and small fleet owners, they just don't realize that we absolutely have that advantage and they don't exploit it. They don't try to optimize it. They do nothing to further their business with the inherent advantage that we have of a small operation. And it, it kind of sucks. And let me jump in. That happens on both sides of the equation. The efficiency on the, on the uh, expense side. But I can tell you, I'm doing it on the revenue side just as well. And so absolutely, that's yeah. our key to success. That's our competitive advantage. And if you're not seizing that opportunity, you might as well do yourself a favor and follow the path of the young lady and turn your truck in and, and become a company driver. And Alec, Joel, both it's, it's uh, funny. All, Henry, all of you guys on here will, Matt, you too. Um, we know that we can be way more efficient than any fleet when it comes to expenses. But don't we also, if we if we understand what we're doing and we target the correct shippers, don't we also have a huge advantage on the revenue side? Yes, I think so. Absolutely, target the right shippers. Don't don't be stupid. Don't be going into the place that already needs ten mega carriers every day because they have so much freight. You're you're probably not going to make much of an impact there. No, stay away from that. Right, but if if you go to somebody who has specialized kind of freight, needs a little more, you know, skill and expertise, a little somebody who's more conscientious, multi-drop. That's where you can kill those carriers every time on the revenue side and best of all the mega carriers don't care that you're killing them being over there right because they know that's no, they, not they, their they actually prefer you to be right. over there right yes exactly <laughs> they they are more than happy for you to go take the stuff like i do with 30 drops 30 different customers we have to deal with. They're yeah. constantly calling you. Where's yeah. my furniture? My Le- customer wants the fur. They don't yeah. want to deal with that. Leave the water and beer loads for those guys. They'll take them all day long and they'll love it. it, it- <laughs> yes. That, that being said, with, with larger shippers, I had some success with that. Oh, you can. Where they yeah. kept me in. Just, just well, the reason for having me was... Th- they sent me on runs from where the drivers from the mega carriers had irritated the customer to smooth things out. And I got paid handsomely to do that. You know, this, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is if you run an efficient operation, you could run off the load. I mean, we could run off the load board right now. I wouldn't want to do it this way, but if I had to, we could run off the load board. Yeah. We're going to survive. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You know, so that that efficiency is, is a great thing to get your feet underneath you, to get established. And then you're right, Kevin. Target that specialized stuff that the megas they just don't want anything to do with it. I mean, uh, it. it well, look, look, if you've ever been in a dispatch room in a big carrier, and I'm not going to say my brother's operation uh, is a big carrier, but you know he's got a hundred trucks or, or whatnot. And when you have these young dispatchers in there that have never drove a truck. You've got newer drivers that haven't been out on the road very long. What do you think happens when you throw a specialized load into that type of environment? It gets all screwed up. What a mess. And and there's no way they can avoid that. Yeah, it it, it is a complete 
disaster. Here's why you can have an advantage. So let's say we have this kind of specialized load and it requires, you know, a little more expertise. You can't pay some of these big carriers enough. It wouldn't matter how much you want, how much money you want to throw at them. Because some of these shippers will go, look, I'll pay more. I know I need to pay more. I, this load's got to be taken care of. They're not going to throw that money at a big carrier. You just throw all the money you want at them. They can't handle this very well. It just, right. They just don't have the system for it. So on, on the earlier figure that was being thrown around when we were talking about businesses failing, and I heard the numbers, the one I always remember that was quoted to me when I was at the small business administration planning the start of my business for two years was that 80% of businesses at that time failed within the first six months and 80% of them had less than six months of planning prior to embarking upon the endeavor. Yeah, it did. Yeah, that sounds sounds about right. And you know what? I'm okay yeah, with that. People so the young lady do, earlier. do what you want, have the freedom to do whatever you want. I'm all for that. But don't turn around and blame a bunch of other people for your mistakes then. That's all I'm saying. No. And Joel mentioned earlier, obviously, and buy tires cheaper than me. But I guarantee you, my cost per mile on tires is less than theirs. <laughs> Good that, point. That oh. is the point. Oh, right. That is absolutely oh. the point, yes. Uh, the, the other one I remember is I was at Louisville on a panel with a lot of the big cares, and I was representing owner-operators. And the question got asked to me, how does a two-truck operation like you, and that's what I was, compete with these mega carriers? And my answer was, you asked the wrong question. You should ask, how does the mega carriers compete with a carrier like me? I don't have a terminal to pay for. I don't have the overhead management. I don't have rookies tearing up my equipment. My equipment lasts longer. I get better fuel miles. I get better service, and I get to charge a higher rate. Granted, they get discounts on all their trucks and all their equipment and stuff like that, but they need that if they want to compete with a carrier like me. Well, let me add to that. You're right. You're 100% right. The correct question is, how could they compete with me? And my answer would be, who the hell cares? I don't care how they would compete with me. That's their problem, not mine. There you, there you go. Great. Um, I'm pulling up to the guard shack here, so I'll leave you with one last thing. Just uh, looked at my email from NASTIC for the daily fuel price changes. Uh, and I'm just going to give you the average the last four weeks here. Uh, it's going down five cents at midnight tonight, but it went up 10 cents at midnight last night. So this week ends plus eight cents. Last week ended plus fourteen cents. The week before ended plus thirty-one cents. The week before that ended plus ten cents. That's all great this, news. Yeah, this is yeah bad awesome. news for large carriers. Great news, <laughs> yep. small owners. Great news for <laughs> yes, yes, guys, guys yep. that are paying attention. This is the greatest thing ever, yep. right yep. there. Yeah, pretty awesome. Um, we're getting. We're getting a return on our fuel efficiency uh, investment, so that's awesome. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Yes, exponential but, return. Right. How unfair is that to the oil we'll companies? The when it, all right, see you, Matt. Thanks. How unfair is that to the oil companies when it when it goes back down? It's just so unfair to the oil producers and the truck stops. <laughs> yeah. God, those yeah. poor guys struggling. Yeah. <laughs>
They can't even afford chip readers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go to Michigan. Ian, welcome. Hello? Ian, go ahead. Oh, hi there. Hi there. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Sure. Um, I wanted to ask about if you've done anything, right? I, you have so much content just about being an owner operator in a more kind of local capacity, like family friendly kind of capacity. Um, not specifically. And the reason I don't is, is I wrote the book on how to become an owner operator. And then we turned the book into a course mm-hmm. and it is everything in that book would work will work, does work, no matter what the end operation looks like. So no matter what we're going to do with the truck, ultimately, everything in this book still makes total sense. You're just going to be looking for different answers. There's a, a whole section on specking a truck. And I do talk about different mm-hmm. operations and why you would spec trucks differently. Um, in a local operation, do I want a really big sleeper? Probably not. Probably it's, not. It, yeah, it's just common sense. I mean, it, we don't even have to overthink this Kevin, one. Right, go ahead. Joel. I know. I know exactly what you want in that local operation. You want a D11 with a 250 direct drive with a short nose and a short sleeper. I know where there's a bunch of <laughs> Exactly. Right there now. you go. I can, I can, I can right. direct you right there. Yeah. So <laughs> even though I didn't specifically write a book on or a course on how to do this locally, it's, it's just not that different. If we're going to own trucks, 90% of this is all the same, and we just tweak a little bit. And I do kind of throw those things in when I talk about if you're going to lease to a carrier, this is the steps you would take. These are the steps. If you're going to get your own authority, these are the steps. And I talk about different operations and paying attention to things like that. But if I tried to write every answer for every segment, it would end up looking like a set of encyclopedias. There's so many different things you can do in this industry. But like 90% of the right stuff is all the right stuff, no matter what you're going to do. So one of the main things from my perspective, and I've dealt with this quite a bit um, as far as specking trucks for different types of operations and whatnot, and as a single truck owner operator, a guy that wants to run local, one of the great things about that particular duty cycle is you're always going to be near a shop that you can form a relationship yes. with. This means that you can buy the cheapest truck possible, an old, old truck, which I would never do to put out over there are guys that do it, but I would never do that out over the road. But if I was going to just run you know, short regional local, I'd be finding myself a $3,500 cab over. I would be <laughs> forming a relationship with a guy yep. at a shop and I'm, I'm, you're going to make way more money and it's, it's easier to get started. There's a lot of flexibility involved there. Just don't make the mistake of I'm going to go out and buy a new truck to put in hey, that, that short region or local operation. It's just well, not going to work Let's well think about you. this. We could, and, and somebody might think I'm crazy when I say this, but in an operation like this, we could go buy two ten thousand dollar trucks and just have one as a backup. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yes, yes. 
Nobody thinks about stuff yep. like that. Yep. Yep. You, uh, that'd be less costly yeah. than repairing the one you have is what you're saying. Well, well, no, it just it gives could you, be, uh, it, depending on what's happening. You know, and I'm going with my experience here when I ran local, I was leased to a carrier and, and whether you're leased to a carrier, you got customers, freight's got to move trucks break down. Um, as a single truck owner operator, yes. if, if, if you break down and you have to keep telling your customer, sorry, my sh- truck's in the shop for two days. Um, I had drivers, too. If the trucks were broke down, they're not getting paid. So almost my entire time at FedEx, I always had a spare truck. So when one goes in the shop, you just jump in the other right. one and nobody, nothing's ever disrupted. And look, if you're going to go buy a $100,000 truck or even a $60,000 truck or 40000 to run over the road, you can't buy two of them. It just doesn't make any sense. But like Joel said, we could buy some right. really cheap equipment, keep it maintained nice, and we could afford to buy two if we wanted. Just go find the cheapest, ugliest truck that you can. And, you know, if you can find two of them, buy two of them. Just like, because the great thing about that is if you're just across town and something happens to your truck, it's pretty easy to run back and get your other truck and finish your day out. You know, something that over the road guys just cannot do. So you're you're exactly right, Kevin, keeping that second, very cheap, inexpensive truck setting there um, gives you a whole lot of flexibility. It, 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 it makes you a reliable carrier for whoever you're servicing if you have the opportunity to do a direct customer. Um, so there's, there's a lot of upside to that. Um, it's a completely different mindset, though. You know, the types of things that I'm talking about and specking, totally ignore. Exactly. Because that right. would put you in a poor house. You're not going to go out and buy a, a $250,000 iTorque spec to run across town. It just It's not going to work. You want that $3,500 day cab cab over that nobody wants to buy and Um, you will have a lot of success with that. Ian, have you ever joined us on our Twitter spaces? I was actually listening to some of that yesterday. I mean, I literally just discovered you like two days ago. Oh, okay. There's quite a lot out there, but I I should listen to that more too. though. Well, I was going to say today, you might want to follow us over there. One of our regular um, participants is TJ. Um, TJ's a pretty cool story. He came to one of, we used to do a big event for owner operators called the CMC five days of the mm-hmm. kind of stuff you hear us talking about here, fuel mileage, relationships, brokers, freight rates, maintenance, specking trucks, health on the road. We, we cover everything we can in five days. We had multiple speakers. We did it for years. I, I did my first CMC in 2005. Um, 2018, I think, was our last year. We took 2019 off. We were going to redesign the whole program, which I started working on. And then 2020 hit and events went away. So we're, we're back to, we're, we're going to start thinking about planning an event for next year. Um, but TJ came to one in, in 2014 and then 2015. And then I didn't hear from him for forever until just recently on Twitter. And he popped in. Um, back then, I think he had five or six trucks maybe. Um, and I remember talking to his, him and his story, and I, I want you to hear his story. I think, um, Joel, he bought the exact truck you're talking about. I think it was a $3,500 cab over day cab. Ugly. Like that was his first truck. And TJ now has one of the coolest operations in trucking I've ever seen somebody build from the ground up. He, he moves wine and spirits 
And he has now become mm. really a distributor, broker, carrier, all rolled into one. He now has from that one $3,500 cab over, um, he's now got 80 trucks and three terminals. Holy shit. Yeah. And it's a very, very oh, cool business. You know, he's got 80 trucks. He leases some owner operators. He's got a brokerage and he has terminals. He's got a terminal in California, Texas, and I think New Jersey. Um, and he really takes care of his customers. He's more than just the carrier. He's the distributor. It's an awesome business. And he built it from one cheap cab over. That's quite a quite an illustration there. Yeah. yeah, so and TJ's almost definitely, always on the space. So he, he'll he'll tell there. you the story about buying that truck and starting local, exactly what you're doing. I, I started local. I, I love okay, local work. Okay, well, I I think my assumption was that like maybe based on some of these terrible lease programs, like you have to live on the road to be an owner operator. But obviously, that's clearly a myth. Well, let me what you're saying. Let me tell you one segment you could get into right away that gets you home every night. Uh, almost every operation I know with containers, almost all the container operations are either oh, okay. home every night or every couple of days at most. Now, a lot of people will tell you, oh, stay away from right. containers. You can't make any money. It's all garbage. It's a, it, it, And all of those things can be true. The equipment's garbage. Getting in mm -hmm. and out of some of these ports can be a pain in the ass. It might not pay that well if you mm -hmm. don't know what you're doing. But I'll bring some people on. Herschel comes to mind. Herschel runs containers locally. Herschel does really well running containers locally, I, I, and that's I not think... typical. Hmm. I think for your local type work, it's all about your mindset. And you, you've got to look in the mirror and ask yourself this question. Am I a bitcher and a complainer or am I a guy <laughs> that wants to get stuff done? And that, that that's going to make your break. You're that's right a good there point. because right. just like Kevin said, with the container stuff, this stuff generally is crappier equipment. They don't put a lot of money into it. So if you're going to bitch and complain about having crappy equipment that you're pulling around or it's ugly or this tire looks like shit, you know, you're not going to be happy. Your, your heart's not going to be in it. Your mind's not going to be in it. And, and you're going to fail. But if you're the kind of guy that looks at a situation and says, I'm going to make that work and figure it out, and you're happy doing that, um, I would go for it. If you're not happy solving problems and serving people and meeting expectations and you're just the driver and you just want to drive, you probably don't want to get into a situation like that because you're not going to be happy. It's going to be stressful and you're going to be miserable. So, yeah, that's you know, just make sure point. you know who you are before, before you, you make that jump and be honest with yourself. And that's a lot of people will lie to themselves about this stuff. Be completely honest with yourself. Look in the mirror and say, what, what, what am I? What's my attitude before you make that jump? You know, that's, that is a really I great really, point. Really a, another, you know, thing I've been dealing with that kind of highlights this. Being on Twitter now, I've got a bunch of people that haven't heard me before. So a lot of this stuff's kind of shocking to them. And the other day when we were talking about, you know, how do you build relationships with the broker if you've never done it before? 
what's the the process? How do you do it? And I just gave my approach. I said, and this goes back to when I had to do this way back when I didn't know anything about sales. I hated sales. I hated the thought of going to somebody and asking them for something and have them constantly tell me no, which is what sales is all about. You got to hear a hundred no's to get to a yes in some sales. And I hated that. But I but I knew I needed to figure this out somehow. So I came up with these hacks kind of be, to, to help the fact that I didn't know anything about sales. And and I didn't know. I, I, I just kind of created this. I didn't read it anywhere. It just seemed to make sense to me. I and it was a time kind of like we're in right now. Yeah. Um, Joel, was it easier to, to kind of approach a broker a year or two years ago than it is right now? They, they wanted I, you, I, you bad know, I, I two years know. ago. Right and now, I, they, well, they might not to, need to a, you that much. To, to a certain degree. Well, I guess that's the, the thing. We've kind of been able to build relationships with people. Oh, so right. We don't really see that. You don't feel that anymore. That, um, we, we got... Right. We've got certain people that we use. They know us. We know them. Um, you know, Alec does on occasion, you know, uh, you know, get into some new territory as far as brokers go. But I like to think that we we present ourselves in a little bit of, of a different light on that initial phone call. Um, I, I, I kind of like to think they recognize, ooh, there's something different going on with these guys. They've got their shit together. Well, I, um, I, I, I came up dreaming on that, but I like to, I like oh, to think that's the case. I came up and with so a strategy. I, you know what? I'm not going to disagree. See that. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I came up with a strategy that in my mind, the whole point of it was to make sure they looked at me differently. That was the whole point of it. Here's what I did. Yeah. Ian, I'm going to explain this to you. And I just want you to give me your your first initial rep- impression of what I'm going to say. I didn't know how to build relationships with a broker. I didn't know how to sell myself or my services. Um, so I just had to kind of figure it out. I should have been smart enough to go read a book, but I didn't. So I, I came up with a strategy. First off, I would go visit them in person because you'd be surprised how rare that is. Go ask brokers how many owner operators or small carriers have actually come to just visit them as opposed to just meeting them on a phone call because they're calling about something from the load board. I took the time to identify, if I remember right, it's times like I wanted a list of like 10 brokers to start with in my area that covered the kind of freight I would be interested in. So now I got a list. Okay, now what do I do? Should I call them? Um, well, I could call them, but what if I call them and invite them to lunch? Or what if I call them and ask if it's okay if I could bring lunch in? And first off, when you do it, you're going to get a lot of um, brokers like, what? Who are you? You want to bring us lunch? What? <laughs> it, because they, this doesn't happen. But I took this a step further. Once I got that appointment and I sat down to talk with them, I tell them a little bit about my operation, what I'm trying to accomplish. But then my next question would be, I want to know about your worst load. I know you have one. You've probably got a really good customer that gives you a lot of freight and you have to take care of them. And one of those loads just sucks. Everybody knows it. Everybody complains about it. It doesn't pay enough. There's three things in there that are just a big hassle. Um, Everybody cringes when they see this load, but you know you got to cover it. I want you to tell me about that load and then I want that load. That's the first load I want to pull for you. 
and they look at you like, who are you? They'll look at you like you have three heads, but they realize there's something different here. Why would this guy want our worst load? And if they'll ask, I'll say, well, here's why. Because my number one skill is problem solving. I'm really good at it. So I am positive that any load you give me, I can make it better. And I just want to prove that to you. I just want to make that load better and show you that I can I can help you with your worst load. Ian, what do you think about an approach like that? I, I literally just watched this YouTube video of you telling that story yesterday. And it, I just think it's brilliant. Uh, you know, it builds rapport and trust, I imagine. And it just, yeah, it just shows your yeah, 100% different. You know, it's amazing. I didn't even know I had a YouTube video that told that story, but I must. Um, I think it's an overdrive. Okay. Here, here's the, here's, here's what I normally get when I talk to owner operators about this, especially of them that have a lot of experience. Most of them will say, you're just going to get taken advantage of with an attitude like that. Well, wait a minute. I, I asked for the load. How can they take advantage of me? I asked that? for it. Yeah. Yeah. Are, you, are you suggesting to form a relationship with a customer and that, solve their that, worst problems? That, that might be it? what I'm talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what does everybody else do? What does everybody else, if they got a chance to sit down with that broker, they would be asking them for their best freight. Well, everybody does that. They're not yeah. giving you their yeah. best freight. Uh, they don't know who the hell yeah, you are. I don't. I don't haul anything unless it's five dollars a mile and it's got to be stacked a certain way on the trailer, or I'm not touching it. And there's no bullshit intention. And I, I mean, yeah, yep. <laughs> you know. And that that is how the majority of people go about trying to trying to get customers. Yeah. And generally, they only grab customers because the customer has no other option. Right. It's not because they want to go with that guy. It's just, yeah, there's nobody else out there, you know, capacity site, so we're going to use them. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, Ian, and you hear guys brag about that shit. I, know. I went in and told them exactly, exactly <laughs> how it's done. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? Come on. Uh, Come on. I know. <laughs> Ian, do you see the you know, difference? That's, that's, you, that's part of Go ahead, Alec. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like judo or something. It's like reverse psychology, but then yeah, it just, it's just, so, it's so, yeah. It's so intuitive and it, you're getting into their head and yes. kind of helping them with what they need and serving, serving instead of just, you know, what's in it for me, you know? Absolutely. You got the point. That's a really good sign. You understand what we're talking about. That's enough to tell me you could be really good at a local operation. Would you agree, Joel? Just his mindset. Yeah. Yeah. As long yeah. as mm-hmm. your, your mindset is there, that you're there to provide a service that, you know, they're not in business to keep you in business, but you're there to help them. As long as you understand that, you will be fine. And, and this is why I like right. local work, because I am a problem solver. That is a skill set for me. I, I, that's what gets me up in the morning. How can I find something that so, needs to be improved and how can I improve it? And a local operation gives you 20 opportunities every day to do that. An over-the-road operation just you're, doesn't you're give you that many opportunities. You're a hundred, 
100% correct. And this is exactly why I am not running local because I want to focus my brain power on other stuff for testing and consulting. Right. And you're exactly right. It's rapid fire, Kevin. It's one right after another local stuff. And you damn well better be caffeinated first thing in the morning to have your brain working (laughs) because it's going to be hot and heavy every day. And if you can deal with that, you will do very well in a local operation. Well, let me give you some examples. I had guys, I, I, I started as an owner-operator in a local operation, 15 to some days, 30 stops a day, but you were home every night. Never did more than about 200 miles a day. A lot of work, a lot of stops, a lot of problems and issues. And there were other LTL drivers in the same area. We would be in the same docks with the same drivers every every day, day after day. I knew lots of drivers that fought with everybody on every dock. Every, everything was a problem. I couldn't get a door. Why, why aren't you unloading me yet? They were always fighting with these people. I, I busted my ass to build good relationships with these people, but here's what it allowed me to do. I have a problem to solve. I have a customer who really, really needs a pickup right now. And he called me on my cell phone, and this was 30 years ago. I had cell phones and gave my number to my customers. Calls me and says, can you get this load today? It's got to go. And my first answer was, man, I was slammed with deliveries this morning. My trailer's a mess. I don't think I can make it, but let me think about this. And as I'm thinking about it, I realize there's a doc real close that I've got a really good relationship with. I actually would go over there, use their dock and their forklift, pull a bunch of freight off my trailer, leave it sit on their dock, run over, (laughs) grab this shipment and come back. And I was able to do that because I didn't fight with these guys every day. I built relationships. I brought them pizza. I, I would move trailers around in their yard if they needed me to, to help them out. That, that's, you can really kill it in a local operation if you've got those kind of skills. Yeah, so it's almost that's like there's story. more opportunity than, than over there. Like you're saying that if you're, if you have the right mindset. So and the right I, skills. I think, and right. Always, always more opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I live in Southwest Michigan. So I feel like I'm close to a lot of, you know, activity like in South Bend or Chicago I, area. So I was in Northeast Ohio when I was doing this and that, that's just, there's a ton of freight there, you know, local, regional, something that gets you home every couple of days. Sometimes I ran an operation like that for a while. It, it, I thrive in those operations. I'm just not a big fan of picking up, you know, 23 pallets on the East coast and driving it to the West coast. But there are people that are, and they're good at it, and you can make money doing it. It's just different. It's just different. But but Joel's point earlier, just the fact that that you should be doing something that you're happy with, or or otherwise you're just not going to be very good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now I, I deliver food for McLean, so it's, that has its advantages, but it's kind of monotonous and very physically punishing. So just kind of thinking of, just having the same income, but, you know, in a much more kind of creative way. Like this. You most, listen, you most likely will do better in a, in a short regional local operation 
than you're doing with McLean's. But don't think for a second that at times it's not going to be monotonous and beat the hell out of you. Or and physically you're work demanding, 15, right? 16, yeah. 17 hours straight. You need to understand all that stuff is still going to be there and then some. Right. It, it, that's well, all yeah. going to be there. So if you're looking to get away from that type of stuff, you don't want nothing to do with that short local stuff. Now, it's going to be rapid fire, nonstop. Guys will call you in the middle of the night. They'll call you on the weekends. Yep. And you have to respond to this in order to maintain the relationship. You are going to work your friggin' ass off. But the payoff can be huge for you, especially if right. you buy your equipment right. But, yeah, I mean, if, if the consideration is I don't want to work quite as hard as what I am now, you don't want nothing to do with this. Good point. Now, right, I think we've really identified that. I mean, that, that you are a potential candidate for this. Um, we could move on to the next step, and I can help you with this. How much do you make a year right now at McLean? Uh, this year, it's looking like it'll be pushing 130000 Okay, so one hundred and thirty thousand. How many years have you been doing this? And maybe not a hundred and thirty thousand, but how many years have you been at McLean? Uh, McLean, it'll be two years in December, and then I've been driving in general since twenty fifteen. Okay, um, how old are you? Thirty four. How much money do you have in the bank? Cash. Uh, right now, about let's say ten grand. Uh, okay, I, I'm 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 gonna burst your bubble. Yeah. Unless you can figure out a way to dramatically cut your living expenses, this isn't gonna work for you. Right. I, it need to be uh, more kind of in reserve, probably to to start something. Well, else. well in reserve helps, but, but I'm hearing something else. Yes. I'm hearing that on $130,000 of income, you only have 10,000 left. Um, if you told me you had 60,000. Yeah, that is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. You, so what it tells right. me is you spend a lot of money, either on your mortgage, your cars, your lifestyle, whatever. And unless you can change that, you're not gonna generate 130,000 in so, revenue at this. Here, not not in the first two or three right, years. Right, And you're going to work right. a hell of a lot harder. You're in a pretty damn good position where you're at right now. Don't kid yourself. Um, at right. 130K a year um, at McLean's, you've probably got decent benefits, a decent retirement. You've got some pretty decent stuff going on. You're going to step right. away from that, and you are going to literally work your ass off for the first couple of years. About the third or fourth year, you're going to get back to that same level of income you're at, but with a higher workload. If then you after, do things you know, five, right. Six, seven, then that's right. That's yes. where you start to hit the payoff. <laughs> right. So you've got to be very careful with what you're doing here because you could easily take a step backwards. You could bankrupt right, yourself right. if it's you're not careful. It's a more long-term. Right. It's a, mm -hmm. a very like serious and long-term commitment. So it's like employment has its, place, I guess, for, for a lot of people. You know, mm -hmm. realizing. Yeah. Now, I will tell you it this. Does. If I were in your situation right now and somebody told me that, I would be digging into my personal finances, seeing how to fix it, because I would give up that $130,000 a year job with benefits to go be a, a business owner, knowing I was going to take a big tax cut or a big pay cut. I would do it. Right. That, that that's my mindset, but, but I would do it in a way that minimized right. my risk. 
Right. Now, some people would look at this and go, oh, hell no. Oh, no way. If you're telling me I'm going to have to work harder for two or three years and make less and then there's still no guarantees, they'd be running the other way. And good for them. They should run the other way. Yes, the majority of people. In fact, I'm in a situation right now where we're kind of struggling with something similar. I'm talking about bringing my stepson on board to drive. He's currently a company driver with my brother. He's incomes in the same range that you're talking about right now. He's got some pretty decent benefits, not the best, but pretty decent benefits going on. And he wants to come work for me. So I am, you know, checking, rechecking, going over everything. Can I afford to bring this kid on and maintain the levels of what he's used to? Because his mindset is a company guy all the way. He is not a business owner, period. And he knows that. And so all the things that you have to consider, I'm kind of doing the same thing, bringing him over. I'm making sure that I'm not going to bring him over and have him take a step backwards. And, and that's essentially what, what you're going to do here is, is you got to balance your, your lifestyle expectations with your revenue potential. How much do you want to work? Do you have a wife and kids at home that, you know, they expect you to be home so many hours a day? Is your wife okay with you getting up in the middle of the night and taking off to go service a customer? Those are the things that are going to happen and the things that you've got to kind of balance. I appreciate the yeah the reality check because that's that's all the side of it that's yeah not quite so glamorous but again I think just the 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 challenge of it and the reward in the not even like long long term but that three to five year plan is you know it's it's hard to imagine I guess from my perspective how much better that still could be you know. Better or worse? Or worse. <laughs> exactly. Well, That's what we're trying to get yeah, across. Try, it, yeah. yeah, try to figure out for right. you, is it going to be better or worse? I was pretty clear in my mind. I, I'll take the challenges and the opportunities every day over the guarantees and the routine. That's just me. That that's my right. personality. I know that about myself. I can't be an employee. I try the higher risk and higher reward. It, it, right. That's yeah. exactly it. Well, w- wait a minute. Absolute higher risk, only an opportunity for higher reward. Don't get that confused. Right. Okay. The higher mm-hmm. risk right. does not guarantee a higher reward, not even close. It only means you okay. might have an opportunity for more reward. The risk is guaranteed. Right. The reward isn't. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so and then you often say, you know, freedom and finances are not the right reasons to start a business. Oh, freedom I, is. I never. Sure. Freedom is. But, well, but you no, have to be no, careful wait about what, what, what you mean freedom from. So freedom right. from yeah, other. Right. Exactly. Freedom from other people making my decisions is all I'm really getting freedom from. Yeah. I get to make the decisions. Yeah. But I also have to live with those consequences, right. too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anybody that says they get into the trucking for the freedom of it, they're smoking crack. (laughs) I mean, to find that freedom, you may be your own boss, but in order to succeed and to grab that potential gain, 
you're you're gonna work your ass off to do it. Well, well, you know, and here, and here, here's and a good not point. Come easy. Here's a good point. The 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 guys who have lots and lots of driving experience, been owner operators for a long time, still struggle many times with with this. And part of it is because they they won't give up all of that freedom. They they really hold that hard line. I, like Joel, you said it earlier. I'm not running for less than this. I don't go to Long Island. I don't go north of I-40 in the winter. That's fine. That That's the freedom you have in business. But then I also said, you have to suffer the consequences of those. And if your mindset is, I'm, I got into business to do everything my way, and you can afford it, knock yourself out. I realized pretty quickly, if you're going to be a business owner, you're going to do everything the customer's way if you want to be really successful. You still right. have a boss. It's just yeah, a I, different I guess, arrangement. You yes, know, it, yes, yes. And quite quite often, you know, you've always heard the term, you know, you, you, you have to eat shit when you have a boss a lot of times. Guess what? When you have a customer, it's probably spoons probably ten times bigger. Uh, oh, and, and one of you the know, things it, it, you better <laughs> be aware of when you're in business. I had an opportunity um, when I was in Northeast Ohio. I had my own authority. Um, five loads a day, good, uh, committed, good stuff. Um, automotive freight from Northeast Ohio into Southwest and Southeast Michigan, where you're at great stuff. It was a killer opportunity. Um, they didn't pay for 90 days. That was not negotiable. Mm. Um, I yep. looked at right. that and looked at all the other requirements of getting this freight. And I thought I can't do it. I am not willing to change my life to, to service this customer the way they need to be serviced. And then the other thing you better be careful of, be careful what you wish for. If you wish that you get that one yep. big direct customer because that will fix your whole business, they can also <laughs> ruin your whole business. I am. Um, you know, there's, there's so so much truth there, yes. I had a business model twice. Right. FedEx paid me all my revenue when I had my trucks. Um, I I could have gone to Sirius in the beginning and just had them pay me all my revenue, but I chose not to. I don't like businesses with one big customer. They make me really, really nervous. Ooh. I would yeah. much rather nervous. have a thousand little customers. But you said you I, were like I, seven I, FedEx I, line haul, didn't you? Like you, that was one of your most kind of beneficial or profitable operations, right? Uh, it's the one I ran the longest. So I, I had trucks with my own authority for a while, way back when. I had trucks with other carriers. At, at one point, I probably had trucks at three, four different carriers, um, one dedicated to a local customer and a couple running um, broker freight and, and we were our own broker at the time. So, yeah, but the, the, the thing that I did with trucks, the longest, um, I'm pretty sure I signed my contract with FedEx in 89. It was RPS back then. And then I sold that in 2012. So for all that time, I owned multiple trucks at FedEx. It was an awesome deal too. And then at the end, I was able to sell it. Hmm. That, you that, think those line haul routes are still a good opportunity? Oh, they're one of the a, a, a contract that, online. 
The contract at FedEx Ground is one of the best opportunities in trucking. I'll tell you that. It is incredible what you can do over there. About the only way to get that anymore is to buy it. It's almost impossible to think you're going to go put on one truck over there and build much of anything. You're going to buy it. And and that's um, when I sold mine, I sold it to a contractor who already had 19 trucks at FedEx. If you yeah, can not, afford not a solo it, thing, if you can afford it, it's a hell of a deal over there. And and I will even tell you, if oh. you can afford to buy one dedicated line haul run, and you're going to do it yourself, mm-hmm. it, it, some people say, "Well, you just bought a job." You may have, but it's a hell of a job. I would do it again, and then okay. and then I would save my money, and I would watch opportunities, and I would probably start buying up other opportunities. And and you can still grow a fleet over there, but you're gonna have to you're gonna have to buy it now. I was able to build mine from scratch okay. over time. Just buy one truck, get it running, get a dedicated run, go buy another truck, keep a spare around. I mean, it took me years, and and I know guys over there that now have forty trucks and more, and we are talking multi multi million dollar operations. Yeah, they and you have. You don't have to worry so much about the sales and marketing on it's more kind of zero a, from what I've heard, like up the operation. Zero. There is the no sales and marketing. Kind of yeah, that's that's not my strong suit. So, you know, through other avenues or, you know, getting financing to, to buy some routes could be a, an amazing thing too. just a, kind of a different angle than than doing a completely like, independent thing. Although I'm also learning that you know, leasing on is another kind of middle ground. It, it sounds like this, as a way to become an operator too. I don't see it as a middle ground. I just see it as a different form of operation. Right. You're kind of sharing some of that, that sales and marketing burden, I guess, but, with them. So I may have to look into that more. Well, Great to have you as a new listener. Follow us over to Twitter. We're, we're going to head over there in a couple minutes. Um, and keep calling. I mean, we'll, I, I, uh, Joel, Alec, you guys have done this a lot. Th- that guy sounds like he's got the right mindset. He, he's got some potential. Sure does. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. He just, you know, has to get straight in his mind, you know, where he's at and what he's all about. And, uh, once he gets that nailed down, there, there'll be multiple different ways that he could be successful. So that, there, no doubt he'll, he'll do all right. all right. He's asking questions. Yeah, He's not exactly. pretending mm-hmm. that he knows it all. So that's, that's a great thing. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to grab one more call and then we're going to head over to Twitter. Uh, Eric, welcome. Eric? Anybody there? Going once. We could wrap this up, I guess. Eric? (laughs) (laughs) Nope, not hearing anything. Got a line there, but I'm not hearing anything. All right, um, Joel, Alec, you guys got time for Twitter today or you got to get back to work? I got a Um, couple of drops coming up. I may be able to jump on after I do that, but I'm not 100% sure how these are going to go. So we'll see. Got it. All right. And I've I've been booking freight. That's why I've been quiet. Joel doesn't even know about it yet. But, uh, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> hey, obviously, you can multitask better than I can. 
<laughs> well, not really, because I've been so quiet. But uh, I, I, I will keep uh, Joel busy. He may be knocking on your door over the weekend. Excellent. Um, there you so, go. <laughs> uh, maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll get out on the river and do some well, foiling. I was you. just going to say, there you, there you um, go. Joel, if, <laughs> if you stop by looking for me, you might have to come to the river. Uh, I, I could probably do that. Uh, um, um, when, <laughs> hey, I, Kevin, the good thing is it's pretty close. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, hey, real quick before we wrap this all up, um, and I don't know if Alec had mentioned anything about this or not, um, we are working on a project that's going to mathematically demonstrate the differences between a 6x4 and a 6x2 in terms of tractive effort, tractive force, um, and it, it's gonna, it's gonna be eye opening for a lot of different reasons. And Alex has been doing some, some pretty, uh, pretty advanced math in order to figure this stuff out. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting on and, and, you know, maybe spending an entire show with this because Absolutely. it's going to be very eye opening for a lot of people. Okay. And we're, it's not going to be seat of the pants. You know, I run a six by two and I'm just efficient. Right. We're going right. to put the math to this all in a very <laughs> yeah, surprising yeah. way. So uh, pretty cool stuff. I'm it was, it was surprising to me. And I was like, I, I said to Joel, how long have you been sitting on this? Cause it just blew my mind when I, cause conceptually, you know, he's, I've said this before, he's a genius and conceptually he had it. He had the concept down, but he couldn't get the numbers. And now I, I said, well, let me try this. Let me do this. So I put the numbers to it. And I'm like, holy shit. How okay. long have you been sitting on this? I, he says, well, me and Peter have been working on this for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this idea. I want to be a part of it. We can absolutely make a whole show out of it. If, if there's enough there, we'll make a mini series out of it. Uh, but I'm going to negotiate. I want something in return. Okay. Of course you are. All right. <laughs> so after we do this one. I want you to, and I'll help because I have some ideas on that. Um, I want you two to take this same approach with driving speed. This is going to be part of what we're talking about because that directly relates to contact force, contact patch, tractive effort. It relates to friction in the engine, it relates to aerodynamics. Yep. It relates all of that. You have to take a holistic approach and not break it apart. So I think you're going to be very, very happy when you see how speed impacts all of these things and why we're kind of screwed up doing what we're doing on a regular basis. And, and we can show this mathematically now. So, yeah, cool you know, I, I think all three of us agree that there, there is no blanket statement about speed that you can make. Like I, I drove most of my career at 57 miles an hour. And in my operation, that actually made sense. I could show why it made sense. In another operation, that doesn't make any mm -hmm. sense at all. Um, we've talked about You're that. Exactly right. As much as we talk about slow down, <laughs> slow down, slow down, we also talk about, well, there are times where you might put more to the bottom line by speeding up some. But, but we... I had a calculator once that kind of sort of made the point, but I think we could go much deeper than that I, and, and almost come up with well, we, formulas almost. We can. We, we can. we did and we can. And the one thing that is a 
kind of a driver or force multiplier of this, and even the engineers at a very high level at the OEMs have missed this, is kind of the, the mother of all issues is the mechanical drag. But when we look at mechanical drag on a chart or whatnot, it always kind of ranks down there right. low. And so we always concentrate on rolling resistance and aerodynamics. Nobody's put together the impact that mechanical drag has on those two. And it becomes a force multiplier when we can back the mechanical drag off. It makes aerodynamics work better. It makes rolling resistance work better. We get a much bigger bang for our buck. And my estimation is right now, just to give you an idea what I think how this is going to work, my next truck that I'm working on specking right now, we're expecting about a 14% increase in fuel efficiency over what I'm doing right now. What? You got to yeah. be kidding me. No, no, I'm, I am huge. extremely confident. Yes, it's huge. And <laughs> I know in the past you said, I don't think we have much more. Right. There's a whole lot more once you start to understand the impact that that mechanical drag has on aerodynamics and rolling. Nobody has put that together yet. And wow. this is what Alec is working on, how to express this mathematically and put it into a chart that everybody, it's what I have understood by the seat of the pants for a decade now, but it's very hard for me to communicate that to the engineers so they have any level of trust of what I'm talking about. Now that we can put numbers to it and graph it and demonstrate it, um, fuel efficiency and speed are both going to improve significantly. That's exciting. That, that, this is a big deal. Now I'm really damn right excited. It is. Yeah. 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 So, damn right so to, to, take Hen, to take Henry's thing, you know, how can these large fleets compete with him? You know, the question's backwards. How is electric trucks going to compete with uh, Alpha drivers? Another good point. I, I'm thinking that, that they can't. They're, we're not there yet. As much as I love electric and think there's huge potential there, we're not there yet. And and I don't care what you talk about cost emissions. That these trucks are so clean that this isn't even an emissions issue anymore. No, and what everybody has missed is they look at the components individually and they go, "Well, the efficiency of an internal combustion engine's not not there yet." Well, it's it's not as high, but the the overriding determining factor is how we gear things and we take into consideration drag and moment of inertia that everybody kind of giggles every time you say that. But as we can reduce moments of inertia and our roll windows expand out and we get to a low fuel situation inside the engine and we start to match horsepower um, produced with horsepower required to move any given load, things get really good. Really, really, really good. And it, it, it's mind-blowingly good. And, you know, we're kind of seeing that in my current truck. You know, I'm cruising around here at 65, 70 mile an hour at 10.2, 10.3 miles a gallon. And we're going to we're going to put 14 or 15 percent on that. Wow. So it's it's going to wow. be good. All right. It's be good. I'm excited. I'm in. Yeah, me too. Looking definitely yeah, looking forward to this. All right. Awesome. All right. We're gonna awesome. we're gonna head over to Twitter. It's kinda like we let our hair down and we get a little crazy and it's Friday and we'll uh we'll finish. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be fun. Maybe we can maybe we can get a good debate going about deregulation. We'll see. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Thanks how, guys. Great. How, how great can we stuff debate today. it when we're you know 
unanimous. I keep looking for these people who keep posting that the rates are so low because of the Motor Carrier Act of 1980. And I want to look at him and go, duh. Of course they are. That was the point. <laughs> we yep. were all paying way too much <laughs> yep. for shipping and it was very inefficient and it was horrible for our economy. So guess it brought rates down. That was the whole point. Then I want to ask them, do you want to bring it back? I'd love to have one of these guys explain. My first question to them would be, can you explain to me what changed? I wonder if they really understand. Sometimes I think they don't. They just Most don't get what not. happened. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, you get this euphoria thinking about the good old days sometimes. And, and, you know, everything was better way back then. And, yeah, no, not so much, really. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great Anywho, stuff today, guys. I, I, Thanks. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, good good show, and hopefully I'll see you over on the other side after I make my drops. All right. We'll talk to you then. <laughs> see you in a couple minutes. If you're listening on the live app, you can just keep listening. If you want to join us, you'll have to come over and do it on Twitter, the Twitter app itself. Uh, and really, don't even try it on a laptop or an iPad. Um, Spaces is really designed for your phone. Uh, so we'll see you there. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Uh, 11.30 my time. So in about uh, 19 minutes, we'll be back with uh, the Twitter space. We'll see you then.